Turn the focus on the prey. <laughs> the only. What the fuck? What the fuck? Who the fuck? You? We fucking killed you. What the fuck? Stygian Street, all right? Stygian Street. Call him. Good thing your daddy got you some training wheels so you don't have to rollerblade over here for your fucking sister's heaven, huh? She's been a good customer of mine for a while. I've been a pretty great customer of hers, too. Fucking prick. Pecco, you sandbagging son of a bitch. This is the second time this week I've covered for your ass. <laughs> that fucker didn't die, Billy. The fucker didn't die, Billy. What the fuck are you talking about? He says you sent him. So what? <laughs> So this motherfucker. Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted to punch movie in its face more than I had last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. 4K, buddy. Check it out. So we're kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing. Or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Hello, listeners, and once again, welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, where we give movies the full effect deep dive for the Film Effect Archive. Not only are we dealing with the first episode of 2023, but it's also the first episode of Film Effect Takeover Month here on the podcast with all five of us hosts taking over for the podcast each week to cover whatever film we want for our respective episode. But Corey, I've got to tell you, man, after this week, it's going to be a nice month for me since I just get to sit here and co-host the next four episodes. Not to mention we've got our two-year anniversary coming up next month, and to celebrate the new season of the show, there's going to be another shake-up with the format like I did last year. New artwork, new merch, I'm working on a new theme. I can't wait. And then as for the month itself, we're going to go back and recover four of the first bunch of movies from back when it was just me hosting the show by myself. It's going to be fun, but we've got an episode to do now featuring a film I've been wanting to do for the longest time, and now that time is finally here. That being said, I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Death Sentence. Okay, guys. Brandon Hume, you've just won MVP. Number one, number one, number one. Nick? Hey, honey. I just wanted to let you know that our son is going to Canada to play hockey. I love you, and we'll be home soon. Hey, where do you think you're going? I need something to drink, Dad. Okay, we'll quick in and out, because we got to get home. 
Death sentence, an everyday company man witnesses something that changes his life and drives him to the disturbing conclusion that no length is too great when protecting his family. So yeah, like I said, man, I've been wanting to do this for a while, but this dates back to like last year when me and Sean were kicking around some titles. Um, it's just a film I love revisiting, and it's it's a, it's an easy watch. Like I'm probably gonna say numerous times throughout this episode, because it is. It's it's one of the easiest watches. It's a fun watch, um, and you know I've mentioned this numerous times on this show. I just love myself a good vigilante vigilante film. You know, revenge films are my favorite cup of tea. So, and this is like top five for me easily. As far as they go, <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah, we did top five. Yeah, remember we did. Uh, it was a crow episode. Oh, man. Uh, we discussed the top five revenge or vigilante movies, and that's where we had some controversy because I put it as my honorable mention, <laughs> and I think you were like insulted a little bit or something because I didn't put it in my top five. Maybe, dude. <laughs> I, I, dude, the crow. We've done so many. God damn, we've done so many top fives throughout this podcast so far. It's crazy. Oh, man. So, yeah. Um, I guess throughout this episode, we'll figure out why it's one of my favorites and one of your runner-up favorites. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, let's kick it back to the beginning and our first-time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So, technically, that's my second time. And... I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to, um, I think it was at Sean's to be honest. I actually sat here for a, a good while thinking about when the actual first time was. Cause I'm like, I know I didn't see it in the theaters cause nobody wanted to see it with me. I remember that much. I was like, I want to see this. No one 
I'm like, okay. And that was back before I started going by myself to see movies. Um, but yeah, this... I'm going to say Sean's because nine times out of ten, especially around this time, because this would have came out on DVD in like early 2008. And I was at the Apple a whole lot back then. So I'm going to chalk it up to seeing it with Sean for the first time. So do you remember? Yeah, I do, actually. It was uh, a day um, that I kind of remember, not for any particular reason, but um, I was working that day, and it was just really slow and not much going on, so my boss was like, I think I was supposed to get off at, like, 6 or something that day, because I was working at the grocery store like I always have been, and my it was slow. My boss was like, you want to knock out at, like, 4? And I was like, sure. And then I was like, well, I got some time to kill. Maybe I'll go over to the mall. And I was walking the avenue, and it just so happened Death Sentence was playing in like 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, I want to go see that. So it was one of those occasions where I didn't really plan on going to see it, but it was playing. I had two hours to kill because I was supposed to be at work still. So I went and saw it by myself, uh, you know, like a matinee type deal in the middle of the week. Uh, And I remember liking it. Yeah, it was a good time. But yeah, it was like an empty theater. There was nobody there. It was like a Wednesday or something like that. But yeah, it was just one of those days where I was playing hooky a little bit and uh, just worked out that the showtime was playing at the right time. So, But yeah, I can't believe I saw it in theaters and you didn't. That surprises me. Yeah, I would have saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't one of those like, uh, like I said, it was, it was just one of those. It's Spoiled happened plenty moment. of times where, yeah, I'm just like out and I'm like, oh, let's see what showtimes are playing. And then boom, like uh, it just works out. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. The other day I was going to go see... Um, what was it? It was a couple, it was like a month or two ago. It might've been Top Gun. It was a little while back actually. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go see that. And there just wasn't a show time that worked. Like I was like, it, it would have to start in the next hour. It just didn't work out. Cause that was one I wanted to see in theaters. Yeah, I get it. That's how, um, I saw the departed for the first time. Cause I was like, I left work feeling kind of like I had a cold coming on and I didn't feel like being there. It was Friday and shit. So I left early and I remember just leaving the office and heading straight to the movies and I called Venker and I'm like, the party's out today. We going? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm going right now. He's like, all right, cool. See you there. So I picked him up and we went up to uh, uh, Regal Cinema up in Bel Air because I had the closest show to that. That had the next show time. So... That's yeah, I, I get it. So, all right, well, let's do our live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash from the Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. All right, honorable mention. I have one. Um, it's not like James Wan has like the, the broadest career. Like he does a lot of, <laughs> he produces a lot he has, of like, movies. Seven movies. He writes a lot of <laughs> movies, but like as far as directing, like it's become just there. You know, there's he still has enough to have a collective top five list, and enough to sneak in one honorable mention, and that is Saul. Yeah, Saul, the OG James Wan film, did not make my top five. Um, I've been I've been pretty vocal about this. Um, I like the Saul franchise. 
Not the biggest fan of the first film, though. And I had my issues with it dating back to seeing it in theaters for the first time. Like, I came out of that movie very underwhelmed. And I don't know. I, th- I was expecting something else, I guess, at the, at the time. And, I mean, since then, the film's grown on me. I like it. It's just, it's nowhere near my favorite James Wan film. I think he has so many, you know, better films that in his filmography than this one. Um, you know, I respect it for what it is and what it did for both the genre and the series as a whole. But as far as the movie itself and uh, as far as James Wan films go, like it's, you know, it's enough for me to warrant a number six unofficially an honorable mention as we call them but uh yeah that's my take on saw and my number five is uh dead silence funny enough a film that i did not like when i first saw it i was this was a movie that i went into it because the trailer actually legitimately freaked me out slash even scared me at, at moments because killer dollars man i've talked about it on the show before through and through but um yeah i went into this one just not expecting it to be more of like a kind of a supernatural ghost story than what the trailers made it believe it was going to be i thought it was going to be james wan taking a crack at killer dolls but it's not quite that spoiler ish alert um but yeah ever since over the years i've definitely watched that one more and more and it's i've you know um just become more of a fan uh, over the years watching it more and more in fact i actually just purchased it um about four or five months ago it was like seven or eight bucks on amazon the blu-ray so i picked it up because i hadn't seen it in a while and i wanted to watch it and yeah i i t- to my surprise like i really enjoyed it so yeah that's my number five I guess great minds think alike because my number five is also Dead Silence. Awesome. Uh, I'm a I'm a fan of the movie. I, we saw it together. I don't know if you remember the first time. Uh, yeah, we saw I, it. I do. Me, you, and Lauren saw it because she was a uh, pregnant with Madeline. Yeah, and uh, I remember seeing it. It was a packed house, and I remember mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty fun. Like uh, there was a lot of good jump scares, a lot of funny parts. And uh, I won't spoil it because this is a more obscure movie, but the ending, I really like the ending in this film. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so ridiculous, dude. It, I rolled my eyes so, so much. At, Jesus. It's, it's so dumb, but it's dumb in a really fun way. I love uh, Bob Gunton and his uh, little uh, cameo because he's only in the two scenes. That's it, yeah. And I love Wahlberg. I love Donnie Wahlberg. He is the MVP Donnie. of this movie for me. Yeah, he's great as, like, the grizzled, angry detective. <laughs> he's like, electric just, shaver. <laughs> he's electric shaver, and he just looks pissed the whole time. Like, I, I love Wahlberg. He was uh, like he's getting some good roles he's, around this time. He's basically playing the same character from Saul 2. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. You know, it's so funny. All right, uh, so number four for me is The Conjuring. Uh, Conjuring legitimately scared me when I saw it in the theater. Especially that scene where, like, the, the the demon thing shows up on top of the dresser. I was like, what the fuck? Like, that movie, like, yeah. That was something else. That was quite an experience seeing that. Uh, shit, t- ten years this year now. But, uh, yeah, I, I like The Conjuring. Um, I wish I enjoyed the franchise as a whole. I just like that movie as a standalone. I'm not a fan of, like, the sequels or 
the spinoffs and shit like that. I think there's like seven or eight movies total of that series now. Yeah, I just like the first movie. That's all. That's what I've got. Uh, yeah, I just forgot to mention, um, I guess because we both had the same number five, but I did have an honorable mention, and that's Insidious. Uh, I really like Insidious. I like all the sequels, too. I know Juan doesn't direct the, all the sequels, but um, I think it's a good franchise. I, I really like the whole idea of dreams uh, in that movie, but it just didn't quite make my list. It didn't resonate with me like the other films in uh, mm-hmm. James Wan's um, um, history have for whatever reason. I liked Insidious, though, but that that would be my honorable mention. I forgot to say just because I was surprised we both had the number five. But um, anyway, my number four is... Hold on. I know it's just disappeared on me. It happened. Yeah. Oh, yes. How could I forget this one? Our number four previous episode, Malignant. Um, just <laughs> such a fun movie. Uh, I Yeah, I had a good time watching this. I mean, it, this was... Uh, during the height of the pandemic, it, it just got dumped... Uh, onto streaming, completely bombed in theaters. Like nobody, I, I think you were the only person in Baltimore that probably went and saw this movie in theaters. <laughs> probably, I was, I was uh, by myself. <laughs> yeah, so like it just bombed, but it got dumped onto streaming, and I was happy for that. And I just remember turning it on. I knew nothing about the film, just that it was a one film, and it was called Malignant. And my God, <laughs> did it surprise me! I mean, what a ride! I love. Yeah, I, I love the giallo look and feel of the movie. I love the ridiculousness of it. I love the camera uh, work that's done in it. Juan uh, always has slick camera work in his movies. And this one really highlights that. You know, will he ever get uh, the same budget again in this movie? Probably not. Not after this bomb. But I just love the hell that he made it. And I, I really hope for a sequel. I hope, you know, even if it's a low budget down the road i really would love a sequel it's just a fun movie i think if you're a horror fan you have to give it a watch i can't imagine too many true blue horror fans at least not respecting slash enjoying this movie just a fun ride listen to our episode it was a good episode from the two years ago in the horathon malignant yes malignant number three for me malignant um yeah pretty much everything you said is is, uh, pretty spot on Definitely wanted to plug the episode myself, so yeah, check it out. Previous episode, part of the Halloween Horathon last year. Um, that was a good one. Like I saw that, I, I sat here and watched it at home the morning that it came out, and then I think the, later on that weekend, I went and saw it in the theater. I liked it that much. I wanted to see it on the big screen. So yeah, I'm a big fan of that movie. Had a whole lot to say in that episode, as did you, so check it out. How about you? What's your number three? Yeah, so my number three is a movie we're about to talk about, Death Sentence. Um, you know, it, it it came out right after Dead Zone, so it was kind of funny because it was just like, they were such, because it was coming off Saw, then you had Dead Silence, which that seems like a natural progression. And then you have this movie, Dead Sentence, and I was just like, whoa, like this guy Juan, he's like kind of all over the place, isn't he? I didn't expect that. Um, but yeah, I remember seeing it in theaters, like I said before, and I remember really enjoying it. And we'll talk about it as we go. But yeah, number three, definitely Death Sentence. Yeah, it's my number two. <laughs> um, so yeah, the. Um, I mean, for reasons we're going to get into momentarily, everything you just said as well. Like, it, it's. Uh, three months actually came out because uh, Dead Silence came out in May. 2007 and then this came out quietly 
at the end of August in uh, theaters. So we'll get into that too later on. What's your uh, number two? Yeah, my number two is Saw, and I'm shocked that it didn't make your list. I'm really surprised just because, you know, we are such big fans of the franchise. I mean, you and I, along with many other people, would go every other would go every year when they were released. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've seen every Saw theatrically. I'm fairly certain. So I'm a huge fan of the uh, Saw I, movies. I, I haven't. The only one that I had not seen in the theaters is Jake Saw. Oh, well, yeah, I guess I'm talking about the original oh, seven. The I, I saw the all seven. seven. I saw all seven opening weekend. Yeah. Because um, I know, I didn't see Jigsaw or Spiral. Oh, I but, saw Spiral. Um, I saw that in the theater. Yeah. Um, but uh, the original seven, uh, I remember we went and saw every year. And, uh, you know, it, it's all a little dated nowadays with some of the camera work and the way the editing is. Yeah, it does look a little bit dated, but I still think it holds up. I think the uh, plot and story-wise, it's definitely the strongest. Um, the twist at the end, while maybe, you know, most people either already know or wouldn't be that surprised about I was surprised. I don't know. I thought the twist was great. I just love the whole idea. I mean, the movie made me cringe and flinch and look away. Um, I just think it was a really original take on horror and just a good way to kind of move the whole torture porn thing into a better way because there were so many of those movies coming out around the time that just literally banked on just torturing somebody and watching it happen. Whereas Saul actually had a cool idea, a great villain played by Tobin Bell, and it was just so awesome. I, I mean, Carrie Elwes... Lee Winnell were great in the leads as well. So, yeah, I, I love Saw. I think it's one of the strongest of the franchise. And, uh, yeah, it's one I always go back and rewatch. You know, and I enjoy the, especially the first three. The first three of the Saws, I think, is a one of the best trilogies as far as, like, a horror movie franchise goes. I know there's more than three, but I think the first three are all really strong. And first Saw is no exception. I love it. Uh, yeah, I think that the... Um... Halloween Horathon this year is going to include the first Saw because uh, cool, yeah. There's a new Saw film coming out this year, the tenth entry. So Saw. That's X. right. Yeah, I forgot about that. I mean, I could hold off till next year for the twentieth anniversary, but technically this year is the t- true twentieth because 2003 is when the Saw short story or not story or short short film came out was released or whatever that we'll talk about that this october in our inevitable saw episode so yeah it, it's only fitting that we do it so yeah we'll talk about it more in depth then all right number one furious seven no i'm not fucking around with that i, I mean it Furious <laughs> seven's his best movie um no it's not yes it is <laughs> yes it is it he it's not even the best fast and furious movie it, fast five is better okay but we're not talking about top five uh, fast and furious movies we're talking about f- top five james well one movies <clears throat> all right here's my defense so he nails the road warrior aesthetic it feels like an australian you know uh production like he it definitely what's the word I'm looking for I don't know it's 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 everything he had to work with 
with the whole Paul Walker incident. He nailed it. Like, there's it's it's insane to think any other movie is his best movie other than this, especially given everything he had going against him in the behind the scenes. For everything that was going on and everything he had going against him, he pulled off a hell of a movie. No, it's not the best Fast and Furious movie. You're right about that, but it's definitely in the top three, and it's definitely overall a solid movie. You know, um, it's you know, it, yeah, it's 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 got some ridiculousness in it, like that the whole the, the shit with uh, Vin Diesel and Jason Statham just slamming their head cars head on and getting out and just cracking the necks like. Yo, are you still gonna do this? Like, yeah, it's ridiculous and shit like that, but it's also a Fast and Furious movie. But I'm judging the movie based off of everything that he had going for him. You know, it, it, it's I just think it's crazy to think that any other movie is his best, is, other than this, is, is his best movie. Like, just, you know. Nah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I know I'm not I'm not I'm <laughs> I'm not making a very convincing argument right now or a convincing case, but I'm just saying, like just I'm basing my entry off of the stacks and you know, I I think Furious Seven's a really good movie and I'm genuinely saying that. I really enjoyed the film. I, I think the ending is just heartbreaking, but you know, it's also a a, a fucking amazing tribute. So I'll say this: that's the last movie I actually liked. Oh, me too. The Fast franchise. I don't like eight or nine. I hate eight. I, I couldn't even finish nine. So, and it was all yeah. yeah. That's that's another reason why it was the last good Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, I'll say that like the like because I I like the franchise fine enough. I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan, but I would say seven is definitely one of the better entries, like top you know the top line entry, but. Uh, yeah, I, I guess you like it more than I do. I, di- I didn't even put it on my list. No, yet. I noticed that. So. I was like, I don't think 37 is going to be his number one. <laughs> no, so my number one, it's not even close, and that's The Conjuring. Um, legitimately one of my favorite horror movies released in probably the past 20 years. I love a good ghost story, and I think James Wan just masterfully told it in The Conjuring just the the use of uh sound effects and noise are mm-hmm. spot on yep. just little creaks the claps just everything works so well the jump scares while reserved in the movie when they do happen pay off very well they really got me like i i saw this in theaters i think it was me and smith that went when it, it first came out and it was a pretty packed theater and i mean just with through the storytelling and like i said all the sound and the jump scares, I mean, James Wan had us on this edge of our seats the whole time. I mean, the whole theater was uh, bought in. Like, it wasn't people talking and um, doing ridiculous things on, and looking at their phones the whole time. Everybody was on the edge of their seat um, listening to this ghost story. And it's just done so well. And I love the fact that they solved one of the issues with a haunted house movie is, why don't you leave the house? Well, you can't leave the house because it's haunting you, you know? So I, I just love that and the fact that they kind of even explain why the ghost would even toy with the family because kind of has to. It kind of has to scare them into uh, possessing them. Uh, you know, I just love everything about the movie. And I, I like the second one, too. Well, the second one's not as good as the first one. I think it's a pretty strong uh, sequel, so I'll 
kind of throw that one in there as well. But um, that's right, he directed that one too, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he directed the second one. Uh, yep. So yeah, I'm look. I I love the fact that it spawned a whole series. Or are, are the movies all good? No, not really. Uh, the Nun was pretty shit. Uh, so was La La Llorona or whatever. Are they all good? No, but I mean, I love the fact that there's kind of like a horror extended universe a little bit <laughs> with these movies, and I love um, I love uh, Bear Farmiga and Ed Wilson in these um, uh, movies. Like I just love Ed Lorraine, not Warns, Patrick Wilson. Yeah. So I I just love the fact that they take those characters and appropriate them, and now they're in these uh, series and movies. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, said ed wilson patrick wilson <laughs> vera farmiga uh they're both great in the film everybody's great i mean this was the first movie with um what's her name the, she was just in bullet train um in the kissing booth now her name's escaping me jesus oh like, you're thinking um, of uh the, the, the girl um yeah i know her name and now it's escaping me right when i have to uh no say I, it. I have it i have it <laughs> but joey um, king Joey King, that's right. I knew it was a boy name. I was going to say Corey something. Corey <laughs> that's not right. It's my name. <laughs> but yeah, Joey King, like she's uh, she's great in the movie and she's great in a lot of other stuff I've seen. Like she was really good in Bullet Train that I just watched recently. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now. So, but I love The Conjuring. If you like a good ghost story, uh, give it a watch. I think if you watch it in a dark, quiet room, uh, I think it's very effective. Yeah, if you put it on in the middle of the afternoon, yeah, you're probably not going to be blown away by it. But uh, you give it, uh, get it on at night when it's nice and dark, you're alone. I think uh, it's pretty masterful storytelling as far as a ghost story goes. And I think it's James Wan at his best. So that's why it's my number one. Yeah, get it going at night. Get it going at night. Nighttime God, that was nighttime. my mistake. Completely unrelated, but when I watched um, Hereditary for the first time, it, it, I was by myself. It was like dark and late, and I was like, oh my god, this was a mistake. I should have watched this during the day. Oh, Jesus, I'm scared now. Yeah, that'll do it to you. Now, I can't remember. Funny enough, I don't remember my first time watching Hereditary. I remember the first time seeing Midsommar, but not Hereditary. Anyway, um, so yeah, the movie itself, let's get into it. Here we go! Alright, so Brian Garfield, who was the author of the original novel Death Wish and the sequel Death Sentence, did not like the film adaptation of Death Wish back in 74 and the uh, all the sequels that followed. So in 1980, he was hired by the Canon Group to write an adaptation of a film adaptation of Death Sentence to be held by the films for the first film's director Michael Winner. However, producers did not like the second novel and instead decided to purchase the rights to Garfield's characters instead of adapting the novel itself. They also purchased the rights to the first film from Dino De Laurentiis and Paramount Pictures. Therefore, the second film, Death Wish 2, was strictly a sequel to the first film and bore no relation to Garfield's novel. The film franchise has since gathered a cult following after the release of the third film, Death Wish 3. After James Wan had read Brian Garfield's novels and seen all the film adaptations, 
He got the inspiration to make his film about the novels. Brian Garfield was impressed after he was hired to make the first few drafts for the film and, uh, and to make the film what Garfield had imagined it to be. The rest of the chosen draft was written by Ian McKenzie Jeffers. So yeah, this is a movie. It's um, a lot of people view this as like an unofficial sequel to Death Wish, and that's kind of what it is. And everything I just said kind of like breaks that down, because you know you had the novel that it was based off of, but then the film series just kind of steered off and just did its own thing while keeping some of the characters intact. So this is like an unofficial sequel, yes, but it's not on the record like, oh, this is the long-lost sequel to Charles Bronson's Death Wish from 50 fucking years ago. Like, no, it's none of that. So I hope that clarifies some things for people that might have been confused as to whether or not this was a sequel to Death Wish or not. It is, but it isn't. It's one of those type of things. Uh, So it was also the first James Wan film that he didn't write with either by himself or with Lee Winnell, his writing partner from the first from uh, Saw. Uh, Kevin Bacon was hired after James saw him as the perfect choice to, for, the, for the role of Nick Hume. Garrett, Hull- Garrett Hedlund was chosen for the role of Billy Darley, the, le- the leader of the gang. He was asked to shave his head and gain some weight, roughly 20 pounds, to which he agreed. He also watched a documentary about lions to portray Billy's animalistic nature. So the detective in this film, played by Aisha Taylor, Jessica Wallace, was originally written to be a 50-year-old male detective. But then after Aisha came in, did her audition, they liked what they saw, and they rewrote the role of the uh, detective to be younger and, of course, female. Um says nothing about race so anyway yeah that that 50 year old male detective shit was canceled uh production lasted for two months they shot in uh columbia south carolina in los angeles california so film the film itself kicks off with this home video montage we got kevin bacon's mean muhammad ali impression lots of hockey going on uh, we see the ki- <laughs> see the kids growing up over a three minute segment through the film's opening credits. You know, it's something. Yeah, di- it's something different in the style of James it, Wan. It is. I I really like it. I think it's a good touch. I think it's nice. You know, setting up the family dynamic. I mean, they seem like a happy, picture perfect, nuclear type family. And uh, yeah, I think it's. Pr- I mean, you have to set that up. I mean, you can't have a revenge movie when you don't like care at all about the main character or his family. So. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's a great use of time to use during the opening credits. Yeah, it's it's a you know um, it's an easy way to to establish character development, you know. So uh, we got Kevin Bacon's Nick Hume. He's like this insurance executive, this VP for this company, who's all about doing things by the book, cover the company's ass at all costs. Because we see him turn down this former employee's pension increase through their insurance and he says that he has to follow through the state the way it's supposed to be done so that he, when he dies the records will show that they did the right thing. He's protecting the company because he's Mr. Right, you know? I'll say this much. Kevin Bacon does an awesome job at playing your everyday family man with this sort of like this naturally nice personality. 
Like the film does a really good job establishing his character and letting the audience get to know who he really is before events start to unravel. And, you know, he goes through this dark change, you know, that we're eventually going to see gradually take place. Um, we get this dinner scene, quick dinner scene with Kevin Bacon when he gets home. Showcases the dynamic between Nick's older son, Brandon, and uh, Brandon's little brother, Luke, or Lucas. More on that dynamic later on. Later that night, we, uh, after one of Brandon's hockey games, we see Nick and Brandon heading home when Brandon tells his father that he wants to do hockey professionally. And, you know, he's kind of taken back by it because he kind of sees it as just a fun way of, you know, I guess paying for college, but not really, he doesn't really see his son going out and doing it professionally. It's, it's not more of a Canada thing. But uh, no, we see this gang and a couple of hot rods driving opposite of them. Nick signals for them to turn their headlights on. It's like that old, yeah. It's, a, it's that like that old uh, urban legend, you know, where you don't flash your high beams at somebody because I turn around and come after you or whatever. Well, and I also think it highlights like kind of Nick's obliviousness. Like you're, you're like these hot rods. Like if I saw a hot rod looking like that in this neighborhood nope. driving by, I would not signal shit. I just let him keep rolling because God knows who's in that car. <laughs> now that I think about it while we're talking about this, you know, he is very observant. He knows where they are. Like, as soon as they pull in, like, he know, he's looking around because it's like the dark side of town. And then when you see, like, the, the low gas light come on, he's like, ah, shit. And, like, he's like, you can tell he doesn't want to stop anywhere because of where they are. But then you're right. He just goes and, and does something just foolish like this like it's you know nothing like yeah I wouldn't be doing that either you know so and you know another thing too I was thinking when the gaslight comes on it's not like you have to stop immediately and get gas you have like a good 30-40 miles depending on what car you're driving you can easily get home probably I don't see them driving like 40 miles one way to go to a freaking hockey game on a school night you know what I mean yeah, yeah, but some people, I I can tell you, my wife is like that. She does not like getting down that low on gas. So maybe uh, Nick Hume's like that. You know, he's Mister uh, Risk Assessment. Maybe he's worried they're gonna run out of gas anyway. But yeah, you're right. Like you, you can but keep given, driving for a while. But given the circumstances and where they are, it's like if you really didn't want to stop, you didn't have to, Nick. You could have no, kept going. You Your son could have well, went on to be Wayne Gretzky. Well, in my biggest issue with the whole scene is like they pull into the gas station and like you know you're in a bad area well i find it very funny that he would let his son go in to that gas station alone well, like i to me i would just be like son just stay in the car we're just gonna get the gas get out of here you know true true and i would be the same way if it was me in his shoes but you know to be fair to the script and the plot of the film the his son isn't you know, the one who's acting all jittery or scared. Like, his son's completely, you know, non-observant to his surroundings. Oh, yeah, he's oblivious. He's oblivious to his yeah. surroundings, exactly. So, yeah. Um, then they, 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 where am I at here? My notes. So, yeah, they, they, uh, they, the whole gas thing happens. Uh, they get to the gas station. Nick's pumping gas. So, and all this because Brenda wants to go get a slushy. When's the last time you had a slushy? 
I mean, I get a Slurpee once in a while. No, 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 like no, 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 a slushy. It's not a Slurpee, a slushy. There's a difference. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that shit. The only thing I like is like the Coke flavored Slurpee. I, I don't really like like the berry and I don't know. It tastes artificial to me. Like, it doesn't taste real. It's sweet. I, I don't know. A lot, a lot, of, like yeah. a lot of the blueberry, especially the blueberry, that flavor is always like really sweet. So, anyway, he goes and gets the slushy, and then like as soon as he gets in there, this shit happens. We see the gang pull up and they rush inside, hold the gas station up. You think it's a robbery at first, but then oh no, this is a gang initiation. This kid Joe, he's like acting all nervous and shit. And they give him his machete or he has a machete in his hand. He's like, this is your guy. Do it. Take him out. And like, you know, Brandon, like he's got the fear of God in his face. And this one swipe, like like Jason Voorhees style, slashes that throat. I've never been one to be like, I've never been a fan of the, the swinging throat slash, you know? That's that thing. Yeah. I've always felt that that was too Hollywood. Like I noticed, like we saw that just this past year in Halloween Ends, that a cop in the sewer happened then too. Like Michael just swipes his knife and slashes the throat, and then it happens here at the machete. It's like, okay, like you could have hacked him. I would have accepted that as a death. But I, whatever, movie's gonna movie. Um, because they shoot the attendant. That's right. I forgot to mention that the attendant. They just shoot him, fucking dead. And then Brendan is just doesn't know what to do. He's just frozen stiff. Like he's just got his hands held up, slushy in the air. And they're like, this is your guy. Take him out. And then, you know, fucking Kevin Bacon, by the time he notices something's going wrong, like he goes to run towards his son. And like this dolt goes to leave and like hits him and like knocks him down. It's like anything to slow this man down, I guess. But yeah, they slice, yeah. they slash his throat, kill him. Well, no, nah, he's not dead immediately because Kevin Bacon goes in and like holds him, calls for help, gets him in the car, rushes into the doctor or the, the ER, and that's where he dies. And then, meanwhile, at the station, 
that this gang just leaves Joe high and dry. They take off in their high rods after he kills them. Or, or uh, you know, yeah, he essentially kills them. And, you know, he just goes in the street like, what the fuck, motherfuckers, and then boom, gets hit by a car. It's like, okay, that came out of left field, the car accident. I don't know. I don't buy that they would just leave them like that, especially, you know, knowing the relationship between, you know, the leader, like they're, they're brothers. Like you don't know that right here, but you know, he's, he's Bobby Darlin's brother. Like I, I find it very hard to believe they would just roll it up like that. I, even if the I, cops were coming. See, I buy it because it's tough love and Billy's that kind of person. There's no doubt in my mind he would leave his fucking brother behind. And not only that, just the whole dynamic between this family you know, because, spoiler alert, that's not the only relative that's going to be in this movie. Um, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I, I talk about the tough love. and But the whole trope where just being hit by a car that came out of nowhere, like, it's been done to death over the years. I wasn't a fan of it in 2007. I'm not a fan of it today. In fact, I feel like I've had the same rant in a, in a recent episode because it's just a trope that has been going on for however many years. And I've just never been a fan of it. Because I don't buy into the fact that someone's in the street for that long of a time. And someone just driving doesn't notice them. And just hits them. Like, I, you know? Eh, they were texting or something. In 2007? Eh, maybe. I, mean, I texted in 2007. That's right, they did. Hell, it was more of a bitch back then because you, you had a lot of those uh, uh, numeric keypad bullshit back then. Well, unless you had uh, like a like a LG Envy with a QWERTY keyboard, that's what I had. Yeah, I had an Envy too. It was orange. I was still rocking the Razor, man. Nah, 2007, I was definitely because 2007, I was working at Verizon, so they gave me a company phone, and I had the orange Envy two until I upgraded to a BlackBerry Storm. It was the first BlackBerry of a touchscreen. Actually, I think it was. <laughs> I think it was the only BlackBerry of a touchscreen because that thing fucking sucked. Yeah. No, I had the the upgraded uh, razor that could do uh, iTunes. I remember because mm. I'd put uh, music on there and play. And then after that, I got the iPhone, the iPhone 3G. Yeah, I had a razor from 2004 up until I got that Envy. So anyway, um. Well, yeah, I guess I'll chalk it up to every single time that happens in a movie. I'll just say to myself, that driver was just texting. <laughs> yeah. Or they were getting roadhead, one or the other. What was that? What movie was that where that happened? I think it was a scary movie. <laughs> the Cindy character at the end gets hit by the car, and it's all, it's her fucking mother and father. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, the, uh, that all happened. So. Nick rushes Brendan to the hospital, the ER. Chaotic scene. Nick's left in the hallway holding his son's bloody jacket. And then Helen, who's Kelly Preston's character, Brendan's mother, and his brother Luke arrive. And we see the surgeon come out to reveal the unfortunate news of Brendan's passing. Can we get some help? Can somebody help us, please? Please. He's a... Uh... He's been, he's burning. He was cut. Somebody cut him. It, it, get an airway open. Create an airway. Get an airway. It's my son. It's my son. Okay, get him. Get him. We're in the hospital now. Sir, you want to move back here. Get him. I'm going to take care of you. Sir, I'm going to move one. Okay, you're fixed up now. Sir, sorry. Okay. Sorry. Okay. 
But I can't. Why no, can't, why the can't, doctors need to do their job. Uh, I know, but I can't go in there. Sorry. Okay. Well, you know, it'll be okay, right? Let's go. It's, it's my son. His name's Brendan. <laughs> I want to talk about Preston and Bacon's reaction and like I don't know I guess compare them to other unfortunate events similar to this in movies like the whole no god moment <laughs> like yeah it's it's a tough moment because you know I'm sure people react like that like I mean I if I was in that situation I don't know how I'd react but I know it would just be spontaneous and I, I, I wouldn't know it you know, until it happened. And I'm sure it would be awful to watch and terrible. So it's like hard to judge these moments sometimes because very easily they can come off hammy, but that could be genuine. I don't know. I've never been there when someone's found out about their uh, child dying, like in a hospital like that. So I don't know what a genuine reaction would be, but uh, you know, it's very easy for it to come off hammy. Is it a little bit hammy in this movie? Yeah, but I think it, I think they both do a decent enough job. You know, I don't think it's great, but uh, I don't think it's bad either. The reason you know, I don't have a problem with it. The main reason why I think it's so hammy in this film is because of that goddamn song that's playing over the scene. It just adds, it just makes it so goddamn corny. I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of it. Like, I, it's not the movement I don't like. It's the fucking song that's playing over it. It's just too much. You're, you're, you're take, you're down it up a bit too high there, James Wan. Cut it back, my friend. So yeah, that's just how I don't know. That's just my take on it. So, uh, yeah, Kevin Bacon's picking out Joey from this lineup. With uh, this is where we're also uh, introduced Aisha Tyler's uh, Jessica D- Detective Wallace. We'll just call her that for the rest of the episode. And then we get Brendan's funeral in the rain because cinematic funerals have to be in the rain. Later that night, we see the family coping with the loss of Brandon. We see Luke, Luke go into Brendan's room, breaks down while staring at a picture of his brother and him. That fucking song's still playing. <laughs> Nick <laughs> Nick and Detective Wallace are with the DA, who informs Nick that they're scaring Joey into cutting a deal with them in exchange for a lighter sentence, since Nick's the only eyewitness of the incident because the gas station surveillance cameras weren't working. Yeah, Hang on, Nick also, he's also informed that his son's death was part of a gang initiation so yeah Nick's fuming I don't blame him but you know Law's a fickled bitch and this this is this is I don't know the whole comment that he makes is like you know he's kind of shitty with him this DX he's like you had to pick the only gas station that didn't have an operating camera so like you motherfucker (laughs) you're kind of a dick today's easy I need you to sit there and put the fear of God in this guy if the judge asks you, you tell him what you told us and identify Darlene in court, okay? The minute I get your statement in, with you sitting right there, the public defender's gonna wet his pants and fold. I'll make a deal in five minutes, get this guy in jail today, easy peasy. Deal, wait, wait, hang on, what, what do you mean, what, what deal? I want this guy to go away for the rest of his life. No, I can get you three to five guarantee. That's a very decent result. In, 
I'm talking guaranteed time. Not maybe, not the jury didn't feel up to it. That's worth more than chasing some make-believe tend to life and the guy walks free. You want that? He killed my son. Mr. Hume, I've got one eyewitness, you. That's nice. But do you know how many cases with one witness I don't even bother to try for a deal on? The machete magically disappeared. The only blood we could find on that weasel was his own from when the car clipped him. And you picked the only gas station in America without a working surveillance camera. We've just got your word. That's not bad if I can scare the guy into a deal. You're using my son's death like some kind of card trick. Look, I get a banger off the street. A year or so, somebody does my job for me. He doesn't get out of there alive. Fine with me. He finds Jesus. Fine with me. But we get religion and go to trial as much as I'd love to, and the defense starts working on when was your last eye exam and what do you have against inner city youth and how unfair it is for them to grow up so violent, how they're forced into initiation killings or face execution themselves. You want a jury feeling sorry for this fucker, huh? You want him to walk? Wait, you said initiation killing. I, I, I thought this was a robbery. It only looked like one. It was an initiation. You kill someone at random to get made in a gang. It's the price of admission. Are you saying that Brendan was killed so that some asshole could feel more like a man? So that he could be in some club? This is a take it or leave it thing, sorry to say. Well, I find it funny for... There's a few things I find funny in this. Like, so one, I, I totally get Kevin Bacon or Nick Hume's reaction to, like, the gang initiation because, like, you know, as a parent, like, I'm thinking about this, like, putting myself in the situation, like, at least if it was a robbery... Robbery. Robbery. <laughs> at least if it was a... At least if it was a robbery, I could tell myself, okay, maybe he was on drugs and he just wasn't in the right frame of mind. Like, they weren't in the right frame of mind. They were just trying to get their next high. Or maybe they were just really poor and needed money to eat and they were robbing the gas station. It was an accident or whatever. But, I, you know, I totally understand where uh, Kevin Bacon's character is coming from getting mad about a gang initiation. Because basically, like he says in the movie, his son died. So some gangster can get his rocks off, essentially. Yeah. Like, his son died for a stupid, stupid reason. Like, just the worst possible reason. So I totally get the anger behind that. I, I get that motivation. I, you know, I, I understand, like, he's upset that that's a lighter sentence. But, I mean, that's pretty standard. Like, they cut... I mean, I forget the percentage I read about that. But, like, they say, like, 90% of the time when there's charges brought against them, it's plea deals like that's just the way the system is you know like a lot of cases don't go to trial now i'm sure a lot more murder cases do like this but uh you know a lot of cases just get pleaded down that's just the name of the game that you know they make a deal there's a plea agreement and that's it i mean so i don't know i guess it's not that uncommon and also the whole eyewitness thing is kind of weird because most cases you know, it's either video surveillance or an eyewitness. So I don't know. They're making it sound like the case isn't that strong, but considering the fact that Kevin Bacon tackled the dude, I think... Well, that's exactly dude, what think... they're saying. Not to mention the fact that there was another eyewitness there. The fucking guy who hit him while he was trying to walk and in, run inside the, to save his son. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I guess he didn't see any of the crime. They, he would... The driver would just like place the guy uh what's what's the guy's uh brother's name or whatever joey or whatever 
Like, I don't know, there was other eyewitnesses there they could easily get, but even with one eyewitness, I mean, their case is fairly strong. Like, Nick Hume is a respectable uh, family man that works in an insurance company. I don't think any jury would have an issue buying his testimony. So the fact that they would use that as an excuse is kind of well, kind of a cop well, out. Even the honestly. DA I, says he says you want some joy feeling sorry for this fucker because he's talk, yeah, talking about so, like you know his low income and the way where he work, lives and shit and how he was brought up and raised and city life and shit. He essentially thinks that like if they go to trial that you know the jury's just gonna feel sympathy for him instead of you know doing throwing the book at him or whatever. Yeah, um, but, you know, it, it. this is one of the issues I have with the movie. Like, so Nick Hugh makes this decision to kind of just basically, you know, play dumb and say, I'm not sure it's him and just basically let him get released. Out of left field, too. But, after all the shit. Field, it, it just seems so odd because they, he's so far been portrayed as this prudent family man uh, who follows the rules, works as a risk assessment guy at an insurance company. So someone like that, I don't know, I just find it very hard to believe that he would then lie and perjure himself in court and just to get this guy free so I guess he can track him down or whatever. I don't know, it's just a quick jump to me. That's like kind of one of my issues with the movie. I don't think it felt earned that he would do that. I think you would need to kind of add another scene or two to make me earn that. I mean, plus, I'm pretty sure as a witness, they wouldn't even tell him any of this stuff about the plea agreement. Like, I'm pretty sure lawyers don't talk about this kind of shit with an eyewitness. I'm pretty sure they just no. do their own thing with a case and then call you in as an eyewitness. I don't think you, you're privy to any of that. You know, I know he's the victim's dad, but I, I, I really don't think they would even tell him any of that anyway. But I get it. It's a movie. They're, they're trying to make a reason for him to kind of lie and get Joey out on the street. But I almost feel like it would have been better if it was like some kind of technicality bullshit or something like that that got him out. Yeah, you know, would. rather than Nick Hume himself letting him out. I, I just find that jump very hard to believe for someone who follows the rules so tightly to just then lie and get him out of jail. Yeah, I wouldn't. Know I how mean, that do works. you? I no, I don't know. I I really don't have much of a comment on that matter because that's kind of like where my knowledge of law kind of ends for me. Um... But I was going to say, though, like, I was going to talk about, um, shit, what was I going to talk about? I just had the tip of my tongue. It was about, no, oh, shit. No, yeah, I was, I wanted to talk about, um, his sudden change, like, in court and, like. Yeah, that's, that's my issue. It's just too quick of a change to me. Like, go from, well, you know, law-abiding citizen to. Now he's lying. Uh, it's, I don't know, he kind of like makes himself look more suspicious. And we even get that shot of um, Dr. Detective Wallace kind of just like gives him like the stink eye. Like, the fuck you doing? Oh, she looks you pissed at to? him the whole movie. Well, yeah, the she's, whole movie she's she got, looks like that towards him. She's got this look like this motherfucker again. Oh, man. And she's got some fucking great lines, too, coming up in the movie, too. I have wrote down some of them. But, um, yeah, okay. So, we can move on, then. Um, so, yeah, this the, the court the court hearing itself. I love this Easter egg, because the judge... The judge is Judge Shaw. It's Mary Shaw from Dead Silence. That was just released three weeks... Three months prior to this movie. That's the woman who played huh. Mary Shaw. Her name I is Judge Shaw. Oh, you never knew that? 
No, okay, yeah, yeah. Nah. It's Judith Roberts from Dead Silence. Yeah, the same actress who played Mary Shaw. And hence the name. Uh, so, yeah, um, we then see Joey making gun... This is another thing, too. Joey makes these gunshot gestures towards Nick on the opposite side of the room. Wouldn't somebody yeah. in the courthouse notice this? They would totally see that. Like, yeah, he would be held in contempt, probably. Fuck yeah. So we're sitting here going on and on about Nick recanting his story and shit. And meanwhile, this fucking guy's over here going bang, bang to the fucking witness. It's like, you threatening a witness? Like, wait, wait a minute. What's going on here? Did, does anybody else see this? <laughs> anyway, yeah. this is funny to me. Uh, so yeah, he gets let fucking he's he's let off scot-free right then and there goes out to the fucking outside the courthouse gangs all there waiting for him quite literally same hot rods and all so uh i don't know ballsy not that they give a fuck meanwhile nick witnesses all this going down outside the courthouse he heads home and goes straight to the garage because i guess nick feels inspired to build a nice table for the dining room i don't know no, a little out with the old in with the new. Nah, Nick's actually beelined at a garage because he's about to commit murder for the first time in his life and needs a weapon to do so. So he grabs an old rusty machete at first and then he's like, nah, too big. Throws it down, digs through this fucking box, this milk crate full of shit, like throws out a bunch of hammers and stuff and then he finds this old knife at the bottom. Like, what's with him and these old weapons? So meanwhile, his son Lucas comes in and just bombards him with questions about Brandon's death. Like, out of nowhere. Um, it's random. He just comes, because they're Yeah, it is random. Because they're in a trial. Like, they just had the trial. So the, presumably, this would have to be at least several weeks to months yeah. since uh, the whole incident happened and, and his son died. He just, and it is very he random. He just happens to come in. The night that his father is trying to go out and murder a motherfucker and starts asking, like, so do you think Brandon was scared? Like, bullshit questions like that. Like, I'm surprised yeah. Bacon didn't be like, I don't have time for these dumbass questions. Like, what do you really want right now? Yeah, it's like, motherfucker, you've had months or weeks to ask me this shit. And you're asking me it now? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I've got a crime to commit, motherfucker. I've got to avenge gotta- your brother. I'm, I'm making a coffee table here, son. Leave me alone, goddammit. I have to return some videotapes. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, then the wife comes home and immediately asks how the trial went. That's when he says he just let free because... I didn't think it was him. That's what he says. He just throws his arms up. You know what? I don't think it was him. Kind of like Jerry Seinfeld. So Nick tells his wife he left something at the office and takes off. Like, that's gonna... I don't know. She's like, really? At this time of night? What the fuck is going on? Like, her, her, his wife notices right away something's off. So, yeah. And only he's going to Joey's place with the knife that he wrapped up in a cloth and stuck in his pocket. At first, he gets there and he's like hesitant. He's like, what am I doing? And he's going to go leave. But then Joey comes outside to take the trash out. So he starts, gets out of his car and starts walking towards the trash area where he is and this woman or girl whoever she comes outside and she's like got this bag of groceries or something like that or something i don't know she's walking to her car and she notices nick so eyewitness buddy eyewitness that right there should have made you turn the fuck around and go home but no he he goes through with it he goes and confronts joe and they get into a little see i love it this is how real realistic this shit goes or is. You know, we you know Nick 
Nick's the kind of guy he's never been in a fucking fight in his life. And it shows right here because he like he's the first person to attack Joey, but then he doesn't really do much. Like he doesn't know to like throw punches and shit. Like he just kinda like smacks him and holds his palm over his face and shit. Like even like there's a couple shots of like Joey looking at him like, What the fuck are you doing? Are you real with this shit right now? Like he clearly has no idea how to fight. And then things get more physical once they take it into the boiler room or whatever that area is. And the knife falls out of his pocket. And Joey notices, you know, what he's actually there to do. And he's like, shit gets real. And then that's when suddenly we see Nick get on top of him and throw some actual hooks before he grabs the knife and stabs him. Yeah, and I just want to say, like, the guy Joey's such a dumb fuck. Like, the dad of the guy you just killed is there... And your first instinct isn't, oh shit, he's here to kill me. You know, like, what else do you think he's there for? Playing fucking tiddlywings? <laughs> like, I mean, it, it, that guy Joey is just so fucking stupid in this movie. But yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think it's a good scene. Like, it definitely it's shows. It's very that, realistic. It very is. I, I wanted to compliment the movie on doing that, you know? Yeah, because I almost wonder if Nick Hewn, like, in this situation, like, yeah, he has a knife. Like, he's obviously pre planning things. But I also like to think if the guy Joey was actually remorseful and genuine and like, you know, say Joey actually had a come to God type moment with Nick, maybe Nick would change his mind. You know, I I like to believe that as well. He kind of went into this like planning with a knife, but not necessarily sure yet what he was going to do. Because just the look on Kevin Bacon or Nick Hume's face when he stabs him, like when he finds the knife Uh in his um, chest, like he's like shocked, you know, he's like, oh shit, what did I just do? What just happened? Yeah, so I'd like to believe that, you know, he went in maybe hoping there was a better resolution or maybe there was some chance that there was some kind of redemption he was going to have with this guy, Joey. But obviously, we all knew what was going to happen. One of them wasn't coming out of that room. Oh, right. And it just so happened it was Joey in this situation. So Joey's played by Matt O'Leary. Does he look familiar to you? No, I I didn't recognize him at all. The only guy I recognized from the gang was uh, the black dude. I remember him from X Men First Class. <laughs> That's about it. Oh oh yeah yeah um Eddie Cathedji. That's yeah yeah uh no so Matt O'Leary. The first time his first movie was Domestic Disturbance that uh, John Travolta f- film with uh. Vince Vaughn, uh, yeah, yeah. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, that they filmed. The, that. They filmed here in Maryland, on the uh, down in the, at the Annapolis area. He was the son in that movie. Um, and then that was what I remember him from. And then he was also a young, um, which character was the, he? He was the uh, the young Matthew McConaughey in Frailty. And then he was in a couple Spy Kids films. He had a minor role in Live Free or Die Hard the year prior. Or no, the same year as this, actually. Um, and then he was also uh, in that Mother's Day remake that came out about 12 years ago or so from Daryl and Boozman. Did you ever see that with Rebecca Mornay, Jimmy King? No, I never. I mean, I've seen the original. I've never seen that one. Nah, the remake's good. I mean, it's a different movie than the original. The only difference is, I mean, the only similarities is it has the characters, uh, Ike and, um, oh, I'm gonna draw a blank. Fucking, uh, Ike and Addy, uh, or Adley. So, yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, that's what I 
pretty much remember him from originally was the, he was the, the the son from Domestic Disturbance. So yeah, um, what am I at here in the story? So yeah, we get uh, Nick wipes down the blade and tosses it over this random bridge into the river. Heads back home, tells his wife that he slipped, wants to get a shower. Then we get this really drawn out dramatic shot of Kevin Bacon in the shower with his wife coming in and comforting him. And then we get this instant cut to, hey, Joe, Jimi Hendrix and fucking Billy Bar, Billy Darley. And uh, he's going to see John Goodman. Welcome John Goodman to the film, folks. With a duffel bag <laughs> full of guns. Dude, John Goodman. He ain't in this film much. He's only in like a few scenes. But holy yeah. shit, dude. It's like they had him for like two days on set. I don't care. He's fucking bringing like this attitude that I've never seen in John Goodman before. No, it's definitely against his normal type. Uh, yeah, the playing the... Um, he's not the villain in the film, but I mean, he's definitely playing a bad guy. Like, you don't see him do that much. Like, usually he's like this jolly big dude in, in most of the movies. Um, but yeah, he's definitely bringing something very different. I really enjoy all his scenes in the movie. I, I wish there was more, honestly. Same. I wish he did more in the film. Same here. And then, you know, we were talking about, uh, Billy Darley for a minute here. So Garrett had, yeah, Garrett Headland. Um, the first time I saw this guy was a couple years prior to this movie. He was Jackie in Four Brothers. And oh yeah, he was. He was like the young, he's, he's uh, like the, the youngest brother. The, the, yeah. yeah, the punk of the group, as I always say. Um, apparently, he was in Friday Night Lights a year prior to that. I've never seen Friday Night Lights, so I can't really comment on oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, he he was. Yeah, he has like an abusive dad. I think, if I remember correctly, he's like the running back. I think, and he has like uh, an abusive dad who like who was a running back too. It is like. Puts pressure on him to be um, like as good as he was. Gotcha. Yeah, he he's one of he's one of the biggest he's one of the bigger roles in the film. Yeah, he was good in that. I, I liked him in Friday Night Lights. That's a good movie, by the way. For anybody who's a fan of football, it's a good movie. I'll have to check it out. Um, but yeah, after this movie, he didn't really he didn't do anything for a few years up until 2010. He followed this film uh-huh. up with Tron Legacy. Yeah, that was a big film. I really enjoyed Tron Legacy. I think I like the original Tron as quirky and as weird as that movie is. Yeah, I agree. It's not particularly a good movie, no. but just the effects have always drawn me in. Mm-hmm. And, and just the fact that it takes place in a computer because I'm a huge you know, tech head. So that, that always interested me. And I think the sequel, you know, special effects aside with some of the Jeff Bridges stuff, was awesome and i think he was pretty good in the film as the son i I really enjoyed him in that and i really enjoyed the sequel i was sad that movie bombed uh you know i thought it was a really cool sequel i mean hey we're getting a roller coaster in florida soon about it but that's about it that's all that's coming out of that yeah i agree i mean i felt like when tron legacy came out no one really gave a shit about it I mean, I never made it. Well, no one gave a shit about Tron. That's the problem. Like, you're building it off of this obscure movie that probably, I mean, maybe people have heard of it, but I would say probably, like, most people have never even seen it, like, even though it's a Disney film, <laughs> you know? like They've just heard of it, 
and they know it's the film with those weird special effects, you know. Or, or it, it you know, you remember the arcade games because they were pretty popular back in the day. True. That's most people's recollection. So you don't have that nostalgia factor for it. So a lot of people didn't go see it. I saw an IMAX. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I wanted to see it in the theater so bad, spe- specifically in IMAX 3D, but I just didn't get around to it, so. I like the film, though. I like Tron Legacy. Um, I actually just watched it uh, a couple months ago. It's, it's, you know, still holds up. So, yeah, and then um, that same year, he was in that movie Country Strong, where he was like this... I don't, this I don't. It's a country music film, and he plays also does country music for the soundtrack and shit. So, I mean, his career is coming, coming, kind of coming, going in spurts. Um, looking at things now, just, no, doesn't have a whole lot going on right now, unfortunately. Nothing that's relevant, at least. So anyway, moving on. Billy goes to see the guys and he's told about Joey. Meanwhile, Nick's show, he's, you know, he is, okay. Nick's shoving down this sandwich like he's been starving for the last 15 days in the office here. Like, this fucking, like, ham sandwich and shit that he's just chowing down on. This coworker from earlier in the film with the insurance favor comes up to check in on him and his family. You know, like a normal human being would do. Detective Wallace comes in to tell Nick that the guy he initially thought killed his son was murdered. And she thought that he would like to know about it. And the co-worker is awkwardly standing there in the middle of the two. And he's like, wow, I guess there really is justice, huh? Meanwhile, Wallace has her look on this, you know, blatant bandage that's on Nick's hand. So she knows something's going on. Just that everything just doesn't add up. And, uh, you know, he's just blind to the fact that she's on his ass. Yeah, and he has the most over-the-top bandage on his hand. That's what I'm like- saying. That bandage, she just kind of, <laughs> she's eyeing it up like... Uh huh. I mean, it looks like something a hobo would use. Like, it doesn't look like like <laughs> you'd be at home, and be like, all right, let me get some gauze and some medical tape and wrap it up a little bit. You know, like it's just like this over the top looking bandage. I'm like, oh, did man. he do it in the dark? <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, if his yeah. wife did it, she fucking sucks at first aid. Like, his wife is, might have other talents, but she sucks at first aid. <laughs> So we see the gang drinking in Joey's memory. Billy flips shit on them because they'd rather get drunk than avenge Joey. So he sits down and tells them that he would like to know who the hell did this. Suddenly all the members speak up like, Oh, no doubt. You know we're going to find the mofo who killed Joey. Then suddenly this one guy, who we haven't heard from this entire film, this like, he looks like a random kid with peach fuzz on his face. He's like, yo, my sister said she saw some guy wandering around and shit. So Billy gets up and grabs the newspaper, which happens to have Nick's photo on the front page due to him being this top exec with the son who was just murdered. He sends the guy over to talk to his sister, and she confirms that that was the man with this, in the this suit that she saw outside. He didn't deserve that. No way he deserved that. He was a true fucking soldier. To Joe. He was a good fucking boy. A good fucking boy. So that's what we're gonna do? Why don't you show a little fucking respect at least? See, that is why you guys are nothing. That is why you are a bunch of fucking punks, because you would rather drink up and talk yourselves fucking witless. Witless and scared shitless. 
My bad. Let's here. Cheers. Get your fucking glasses up! All of you! No, wasn't like you. You mean he was not like you. He was better than you. We as good as brothers since we was kids, and you fucking go this way. What I'm not as good as you now. Joe was like blood to me, dog. As good as fucking blood. You too. Fucking doubt. Do the right fucking thing by Joe, yeah? So who fucking did it? It wasn't a cutting match, man. I wouldn't know about it. Unless you were high. Yeah, high. It wasn't B Street, Billy. It wasn't the hall. It wasn't any of those assholes. Yo, my sister said she saw some fucker in a suit down there. Just chilling. How many fuckers in a suit do you ever see a Stokely fucking home? See, here's a comical thing. When one of us gets killed, we don't make the paper. But the son of a senior VP of Starfish Capital? Whoa, wait. Go talk to your sister. And then when it cuts back to Joey, or not Joey, Nick, not Nick, god damn it, my name's, um, Billy, he's like got this sadistic smile, and he's just kind of like shaking his head, like, kind of like, uh, Jack Nicholson in, in uh, Anger Management, like, yes, yes, like, <laughs> like, he's just got this weird look on his face when he sees that she confirms that that's the guy who she saw, so back at the office with Nick, He's leaving for the day. He's all tense and shit. Walking down the street. When the the fucking gang member of the the, the Eddie Gathegi character who plays Bodie. Bodie was called him by his character name for the rest of the episode. Bodie comes creeping up behind him. And I, I seem to remember him catching a reflection of Bodie before he gets him and that's why he turns around and swings his briefcase and knocks him down but no and when I, when I watched at least the version he just has like spidey senses and Nick just happens to turn around at the right moment and swing could have been anyone behind him but no he just happens to know that this is Bodie coming up behind him with a fucking gun so he swings back hits him with his briefcase and then just takes off Meanwhile, Billy and the rest of the gang are across the street, just, you know, making sure shit goes right. But, nope, it don't. And the chase ensues. So, uh, this is one of the most intense and in-your-face chase scenes in cinematic history, for my money. Like, it really is. I've always said this. 
I'm not just saying it now because I just rewatched it. Like, I've always thought that this scene, especially how it ends, like, oh my God, we're getting there. They do a stellar job with, with all the cinematography and how it adds to the intensity of the chase. You know, because it goes through narrow alleys, random hallways, big ass parking garages, like, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely like a good chase. Like I'll say, I think one of the things that works at the beginning when they're running is you can tell all the actors are running all out and the, it's longer takes. Cause sometimes you see chases, it's so cut up like the editing. Like it's just so chopped that it's hard to even tell well, this entire parking where garage are, sequence is one take. That's why it's so memorable. Cause it's just, it's all yeah. one shot. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like it's long takes. You can tell the actors are running all out. Like, you get the sense of, you know, speed and just, like, hauling ass, and you can tell where people are in relation to each other. Right. Uh, so, it, it works in the respect of, it, it's good that it's one long take, because you see certain movies, it's just so cut up. I, I'm just like, I don't know where the fuck one person is <laughs> in relation to another, and plus, the I mean, the fucking guy looks like he hasn't been running at all. Like, you know, so it's just... It's done very well. Yeah, it, it is very tense, and then obviously when he gets to the top, nowhere to go but down. And he's so out of breath. By the time he gets up to the top of that parking garage, he is just worn, and you can just, you feel it watching the film. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, dude, like, I, I love how they do this. Like, so Bacon goes, gets to the parking garage, and like, he's just finding his way upward, knocking on cars, Making the alarms go off. Not that that's really going to help him or do much, but he does it anyway. And he gets to the top of the parking garage because turns out that's where he's parked. But by the time he gets up there, there's also another guy who took the stairs and is up there too looking for him. They're all pretty much, you know, splitting up and covering different floors. So once he gets to the top of this parking garage or no right before he goes to the very top because he's still running like upward the camera keep in mind it's all one take the camera pulls out of the parking garage and goes down to a different level and into the unit and follows Billy for a minute with him and the rest of the gang and then he does the thing where he loads the gun and like pushes it against his nostril like it gets him high or something the smell of like his chamber and then it pulls back out and then it cuts to the top of the parking garage from outside of it same shot and then we're we're back to Nick with the other gang member who is up there looking for him and shit and this is all like when he makes his car alarm go off and you know hits the guy gets into a fight puts the car in neutral and get, finds a way to kick the windshield out while it's rolling backwards down this parking garage and then finds a way to flip over on top and wraps his neck around the seatbelt a few times so that he's kind of stuck or stalled at least for long enough for him to jump out at the right moment and the rest of the car plumbles down looks like 50 60 feet from the top and just just kind of like crushes yeah it's enough to fuck you up if it doesn't kill you especially from where he's sitting so the way they do this shot is also impressive i remember seeing a behind the scenes doc on this scene many many years ago but basically it's it's not hard it's 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 a cool shot 
So obviously it's it's a half it's a hybrid shot essentially. So all the 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 camera work that takes place inside the garage, it's an obvious handheld because it's shaky and all that. So it's a handheld shaky cam. And then what happens is when they go to pull out and you know change floors, the the um cameraman is actually back at the he's basically backs back backs up towards the end where the uh, steady cam or the uh the crane is and he basically latches it on the crane and then that's how the crane shots established and then it gets to another part and there's another camera guy up there waiting and he grabs it and takes it off the crane and that's how you get the continuation on the handheld so okay. that's how they do that shot so no movie magic just people at the right place at the right time so yeah and then you know the, the car finally nick gets out like i said and then this guy just we'll just say he squashed like a fucking can, like a, a can of sardines or something so yeah um yeah kevin bacon he just realizes he pulls over and he realizes just the severity of the situation now and eventually his wife calls tells him that luke is missing and he tells her that he thinks he knows where he is. And sure enough, Luke's at the gas station where his brother was killed. And he's having a jealousy, like this jealous pissy fit in the town, knowing there's a gang after him that now wants blood. Finally, he's like, God damn it, you motherfucker. Just quit your fucking crying and get in this goddamn car right now. Because he's basically like right there where the, the gang associates from. So yeah, he's a sitting duck essentially at this moment. So Bodie, at the next day, avoids security at Nick's office and walks up to this top executive office floor where Nick's office is and screams out for him. He's got this package, just, you know, this quote-unquote neatly wrapped package and tells him that he's about to meet his maker. Security takes him away. Inside the package is Nick's briefcase. And inside that briefcase is a photo of his family with all their faces crossed out except for Nick's. And a phone number on the back. So, I mean, since this scene involves Bodie, did you, did you, did you want to have the Eddie Kathedji conversation? I mean, you met Eddie Kathedji, the, the the guy who oh, played. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy who plays Bodie, he was also in X Men First Class, which is funny because he is in First Class. And doesn't Kevin Bacon's character kill him in that movie? Yeah, yeah, he shoves like a. Uh bomb down his throat that's right explodes essentially that's right that's twice now he gets killed by kevin bacon yeah (laughs) it's kind of funny i remember him from uh uh, a couple years after this movie he was the deputy in my my bloody valentine remake did you ever see that yeah yeah i saw that in theaters yeah okay and i know he was a gang member in uh gone baby gone but you know around this time he was in a lot of stuff and then just kind of quietly went away and I feel like that happened with a lot of people they just come and go man that's Hollywood for you I guess so well, there, there's our two minute conversation on Eddie Kathedji. Um so Nick calls the number and we get this really cool glowing red light that highlights uh, Billy he's uh, show, showcasing a sense of evil 
in this scene right here. Billy answers and Nick starts trying to sound tough and demanding since he killed his two, two of his gang members. Billy warns him that he's brought a death sentence for his family, revealing that Joe, because he says, like, I'm going to cut you like I cut your friend. He's like, he wasn't my friend. He was my brother. I say who lives. I say who dies. Now you better get that through your fucking skull because there's no more warnings. I'm coming for some fucking family. No. You listen to me. You go near my family and I will cut out your goddamn guts like I did your fucking friend. Do you hear me? He wasn't my friend. He was my brother. And now I'm coming for the rest of your family. You just bought them a death sentence, motherfucker. Wait, wait. Don't! So yeah, this reveal, the brother dynamic between Joey and Billy, this is all, I don't know. Seeing how Billy was treated by the uh, a job, no, not Billy, this uh, Joe. I guess I'm bringing back up the conversation about them leaving him in the middle of the fucking street for dead <laughs> earlier in the movie if they're actual brothers. Like this reveal here, I don't know. I feel like when I saw this movie, I wasn't surprised by this reveal because I feel like I knew going into the movie that they were brothers. Well, I mean, I didn't know that, but I mean, I, I think you have to have a better justification than they were just gang member. Like, you know, I don't think gang mates, like if, you know, if, if this darling character just had a random gang member uh -huh. that got off, like I'm sure he'd be mad, but I don't know if he would go to the extent he does. So they kind of had to make it his brother. Because yeah. would he really, like, go after this guy this hard and risk getting arrested or killed for just a gang member guy? Like, no, you would, but you would do it for your brother, like, someone killed your brother. So, I, I think you kind of have, it's a necessary evil, pretty much, for the uh, movie. But I, I like the reveal. I think right then, uh, Kevin Bacon's character, Nick, is like, ah, shit. Like, yeah. I, I really do have a death sentence because I'm going after him because of my son. Now he's going to come after me because of his brother. So Nick calls Wallace, who already knows that Nick started a war that he can't finish or even fucking fight, let alone. She issues APVs on the, the gang, and she has him and his family under police protection through the night. That, Which, yeah, would you really stay there? Like, this no, is another issue I was thinking that, movie. too. Why the fuck are they would staying at home? Would you fucking stay there? Like, it's obvious that they know, like, the gang knows where, who and where he is. I don't care if they had a police out front out back in the house i would be getting my ass in my car and driving making sure no one's following me and get to a freaking hotel far away from here that's what i would be doing i'd get the family out of the house pronto wouldn't even have time to get clothes i'd be like fuck it i got enough money to fucking buy new clothes if i have to so be it for me and the family yeah get out of that house come on we're going out of state we're going far away to the in-laws the in-laws in-laws <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I would be going just about anywhere because I mean, these are gang members. I leave, it's not like they I have access. The state. I would leave the state at least. Yeah, it's not like they have access to like his credit card information or something like that. They're not detectives, so I mean, just getting far away to me would be good. But you know, it's like to the movie's credit, at least Kevin Bacon's like sitting up on the stairs through the whole night and he's kind of worried but yeah i would i would not care if there was two cops sitting out front fucking falling asleep in their cop there's car two rinky dinky cops yeah like are having conversations like in halloween about fucking bond me sandwiches or whatever the <laughs> hell cops do while they're sitting there i i would be gone no no not not these cops no this this like i said like yeah this why are you home get the fuck out of there but no they're, they stay. And, uh... So she demands what's going on and why Billy Dolly wants, you know, war on Nick. Even though Nick doesn't respond. And I love this line. It's one of my favorite lines in this movie. Make war on the wrong dog, Mr. Hume. <laughs> yeah. Like this... She's got a I told you so look the oh, whole time. She's great. like, motherfucker, I told you so. It's great. Now I can see how she got this role. So this movie does such a tremendous uh, job at displaying intensity and making you feel everything Nick's going through. Even though Nick does it to himself half the time and he's stupid as shit in moments. Like, I don't know. Personally, I felt like I was, I could put myself in Nick's shoes and like feel what he was going through, which wasn't very pleasant. So anyway, it's nighttime and Helen comforts Nick and tells him that he's a good father no matter what he's done. It's kind of a farewell to Helen in this movie, so to speak, because we cut to everybody asleep. The car alarm from the police car suddenly goes off outside. Nick, look, Nick looks out the window and sees that they're dead, but it's too late. Gang's already inside. Nick fights off the guy blowing monster-sized holes everywhere with the shotgun, and then he Goldberg spears the fuck out of him down through the stairway, fucking handles and shit. Like it's a gnarly shot. It really is. I love this scene. And yeah, then this next scene I don't love so much. It's the family execution. Um, you know, I was kind of shocked the first time I saw this that this happened. I remember thinking to myself, holy shit, they killed the family. Like how many times does, does this guy have to like kill Nick's sons to like make them snap finally? And Nick gets shot down too. Well, he gets like this... I don't know, he gets, like, a kidney shot. Like, he's only shot, like, down this, like, abdomen area. Like, it's nothing, like, yeah. nothing fatal. Like, I like I don't know, if I was Billy, I definitely would have double-tapped that shit. I think, so, I like this whole scene. I like the beginning of the home invasion, like, when uh, Nick's fighting off the guys upstairs. I think that's pretty intense and brutal. Yeah, I like, like that, know, too. It is very especially intense. Especially, like, the shotgun blast. I'm a huge fan of, like, when they use shotguns in movies. Just It's so much more visual and cool, like, than using a handgun. You know, you get the explosions, you get the loud noise. Uh, so I get I give the movie credit for that. Like, I like all the hand-to-hand, skin of his teeth, uh, surviving stuff, and then through the stairs. But I think it ends with kind of a whimper, like, the whole family getting executed. Like, I like the idea of it. I think it's a bold move, definitely, in the middle of the movie. But um, just the execution, and I'm not saying that as a pun, but just the way it's done here, I think it's kind of lackluster. I mean, like, they kind of just put a bullet in his wife. Boom, she's gone. Like, I mean, like, 
you know, I don't know. I wish it was just a little bit more intense. There was a little bit more brutality. So you really, not that I really want to see that necessarily, but I think you really need to feel <laughs> I, what, it right what, here. What do you want to do? Like take them outside and hang them? I just want to, like they can get shot, but just show a little bit more reaction and I just a little you. bit more. Like in the scene, like he pretty much runs in. You see the wife and the son drop really fast and then boom, he gets one little shot on the side and drops really fast. Like, would Billy Darling really just shoot him once and just leave him? I mean, I feel like he would take like a fucking batter hammer out and just start beating the shit out of him or something like that. I don't know. I just wish there was a little bit more. I, I wish it took a little bit more time here with the family execution. I feel like it's just kind of glossed over almost. Just like, yep, they're fucking dead. And then now we're in the hospital. You know, I, I don't know. I, I Maybe you don't feel the same, but I, I feel like the first few scenes in the home invasion are so brutal and awesome. And then this one just kind of skims over a little bit. And um, maybe they did that because they didn't want to turn people off. I don't know. I mean, you watch death wish. I mean, Jesus Christ. Like what happens with, uh, Charles Bronson's daughter makes me fucking squirm. <laughs> so I can understand why they wouldn't want to do that, but you know, just maybe like a mid ground, just spend a little bit more time with the family here, uh, dying. You know, I'm not saying I necessarily want to see that, but I think it would be better for the movie and for uh, Kevin Bacon's character's motivation, pretty much. Yeah, I just remember being shocked the first time I saw this at this scene because I was like, damn, they actually killed them off. And like, I always felt that it was just, I don't know, I've always made the question, how far are you trying to drive this character? Like, He's already, you know, pissed enough as it is with his, the death of his, you know, firstborn son. And now you're going to try and kill off, or well, you successfully kill off his wife. But then you try and kill off his other son, too, in the process. And it's like, what more? <laughs> what more? What more? What more? Anyway, so Nick suddenly wakes up at the hospital. And ah, I hate this fucking dated choppy effect that's going on like i was never a fan yeah. of this effect this shot the way this like made for tv looking in a couple parts in this movie like for the most part it looks really good and then there's a couple shots that i'm just it seems like a made for tv type there movie or something two specific shots that i'm pointing out this is one of them we'll get to the other one when it occurs um so yeah this <laughs> then we get detective wallace back in his room and she just goes, this thing stops right now. And when she says that, Kevin Bacon turns his head and cowers like a sad puppy. He knows he's fucked up. Like, he's in the bed like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, the way he turns his head, like, <laughs> you know you done fucked up. Like, I love that scene. I never noticed it before until today when I was watching it. I was like, did he just cower his head? This thing stops. Right now. God knows why you're still alive. But you're being given a second chance. You think that office is out there protecting you? He's protecting you from yourself. He'll haul your ass right to jail if I say so. You want your retribution and you kill a couple of punks and it bought you what? Huh? Everybody thinks they're right in a war. Everybody still died in the end. You were never going to win this, Mr. Hume. Nobody is. I killed them. I killed my family. Well, your son's still alive. 
What? Barely. Where is he? Is he here? Where is he? Wait, hey, oh. hey, hey, come on. Wait a second now. Luke! Luke! Lucas! It's all right. Lucas! All right, let him go. Sir, you Where's my son? To, you need to get back to bed. Tell me where my son is. He's in room 206. Lukey? Luke? We're taking care of your son. Doctor? Luke? Doctor, it's okay. Just let him through. Is he going to wake up? I can't say right now. Then after she gives him an ego check, Wallace tells Nick that his son's still alive. So he forces himself in the room 206 where they've got him. Room 206 where they've got him. And uh, Luke's on a ventilator. And it's hard to say if he's going to come out of it. But he's given a minute alone. They actually leave Nick a minute alone with his son. Not that he's going to do anything to him, but he has his emotional moment with him. He says his piece, and then he escapes. Through this tiny-ass bathroom window, he just... <laughs> I know, a guy who just got shot. Like, he, you know, he just got into this altercation with a gang in the parking garage and got shot. <laughs> and this dude's climbing out a window. I don't know. It's like, it all just happens very quick. Uh... Yeah, I, I kind of laughed a little bit. I'm like, and plus, I mean, are they on the first story? Like, what? I mean, if he's on the second story, what did he fucking drop? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Like, hey, the man's got to get so, home, okay? It, it's like so cliche, like the open window. <laughs> like, it is kind of funny. No, what's funny is what follows that. Because then we see him head back home and he's walking through this like CGI storm going off behind him in the background. Like, it's like those fake-looking storm that's going off while he's walking in, you know, towards the camera. That's like, I don't know, couldn't afford to, to film with them in front of a real storm there, James Wan. So, he uh, goes home, and he bandages himself up. Wouldn't this house be the first place the cops go? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, at this point, he would be wanted for murder. Or at the very least, manslaughter. Like, he, 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 like they know he killed those guys. So, yeah, I, I mean, whether he's a victim or not, like, I feel like he would be under arrest or, like, you know, like she, the detective said, like, under police custody. Like, yeah, I think they would come looking for his ass if he climbed out the window, you know? So, yeah, I think it'd be pretty obvious because he comes here a couple times, like, and he goes to the bank. Like, uh, <laughs> it's just right. like, he's just like, whatever, exactly. the cops ain't looking for me. They're done from this movie, pretty much. Who cares? He has enough time to go to the bank and pull out his entire life savings. I know, and the bank teller's like college fund, huh? Like, yeah, I'm sure that's what the bank people probably think. Like, what bank person says that? I, I know, like, I love pulling it. Pulling out all your money. She's trying to joke a joke with him, and he's just looking at her like, fuck off. <laughs> like, he's just not having it, any of it. Uh, so, um... Nick gets the location from his coworker Alan because he asked him to track his phone for him. Because I guess that he does that on the side, insurance by day, tracking phones by night. Yeah. And he tracks him to this bar called the Four Roses, where Billy called him from earlier. And he's there looking for Billy and his gang. And the the bartender responds with some insults in Spanish, so Nick responds in some 
in the same tongue. And I don't know, this seems pretty fucking funny. The way he like threatens him in Spanish and shit and the shit that he says to him. And uh shit gets physical and he eventually gets it from the bartender. Then he tells uh he tells him where his boy Hector Hecko lives, but then Nick tells him that he needs to buy some guns. Enter John Goodman, returning for the flick. Bacon goes to him with all the cash from the bank for all the weapons. And this monologue from Goodman is the most badass batch of dialogue to ever come out of this man's mouth. And this man played Walter in The Big Lebowski, let me remind you listeners. Alright, I'll take this and these. That's three fucking grand worth of killing. You got three grand worth of killing to do? There's five. Well, that makes you a preferred customer. I'm gonna give you some accessories. Just because you got a thing about you. You have got a killing thing about you. You surely do. Killed my youngest. Now you after Billy, yeah. Yeah. I'm after him. Well, Billy's no damn doing of mine. Anything he did's no damn doing of mine. So somebody needs to make somebody pay for something to make themselves feel better. Billy'd be the one to pay. Kill the little piss pants. See if it makes a damn day's difference to me. Dad to dad. Don't tell me about it. Just go do it. Lord knows I've been patient. And you're a cash fucking customer. But you think about asking me where Billy is. I'll kill you. Go your way now. Go with God. Bag full of guns. Some of the highlights, man, like any one of these is bound to make you feel better about what's bothering you. Is it yeah. That- it- no, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I love the whole I scene. I love his dialogue, dude. He's like, that's three fucking grand worth of killing. You got three grand worth of killing to do? He's like, there's five. Well, that makes you a preferred customer. Yeah, here's bullets and uh, some manuals. Yeah, I, I just love that because you can tell, like, the whole scene is great. I love the monologue. I love, like, his little accent he's throwing on, John Goodman. Yeah, like, he's got, like, a little bit of a. And these thick ass magnifying glass glasses that he puts on that makes his eyes look tiny as shit. Yeah, and he just looks dirty the whole time, too, in the movie. He's like, like a yeah, it, it, yeah, it's pretty entertaining. I love his dialogue. I love the interaction between him and Bacon. 
Because it's like subtle things like Goodman does. Like he's looking at Nick Hume or Kevin Bacon's character pick up the gun. And you can tell this fucking guy's never held a gun in his life. Or if he has, right. uh, you know, he's very inexperienced. <laughs> I mean, he's holding it like a goddamn toy. So, like, <laughs> you can tell Goodman's like, yeah, this guy's a novice. I better get him some manuals and shit. <laughs> it's like he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. But you know, this calls into question, though. So at the end, uh, you know, which we're about to go into at the end of the scene, you know, he asks, he straight up point blank asks Nick Humor, Kevin Bacon's character, like, you the guy looking for my son. So like the whole time he knew that this guy was looking for a son. I don't know if he was like trying to size him up. Maybe. I don't know. Like, but to me, like, you know, he says, he, you know, what my son does isn't on me. Like, I don't care what my son does. You're a cash customer cash is king that's right so that's the way he sells it but then it turns out he does care about his son so i don't know it's just kind of an odd thing like the motivation for john goodman's character yeah i don't think never quite made sense to me either like he's selling him these guns and like okay if he was a shitty dad and he doesn't care about his son and all he cares about is money i can buy that i can understand that like maybe he didn't really raise his son maybe he was just like a bastard or something and he doesn't have a good relationship and he's just going to sell the guns and maybe give his son a heads up. I could totally buy that. Or the other way, like maybe they have a little confrontation and Nick Hume kills Goodman here. I think that would have actually been far better. Like either way, I, the whole motivation because oh, wow. after the scene, after the scene, Goodman goes and warns his son and then says, we got to get rid of this guy. It makes no logical sense to me. I don't know. The script seems kind of confused right here to me. That's my issue with it. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, it, it does feel a little, you know, all over the place. Because, like, you know, as much as I do like this scene between Goodman and uh, Bacon, I've always felt that it just came out of left field. It just abruptly shows up. So, yeah, then after that, Bones confronts Nick, like you said, about being you know, the, the man who killed his youngest. So, more, more bombshells. And, um... He sends him off. He's like, go with God in a bag full of guns. So Nick with all these guns and, you know, he's just, he doesn't know what to do with them. So, I don't know. He doesn't know a fucking thing about them, dude. A few instruction manuals and one punk rock haircut later, he's suddenly a modern day Dick Harry, or Dick Harry, Dirty Harry, who's fucking Jones in the kill. So, this whole scene here where he kills, shaves his head and, like, gets the guns, you know, situated and shit. <laughs> he doesn't, like, so you would think in this montage they would show him maybe shooting the guns. <laughs> like, maybe no, going somewhere aiming. to fucking Point try them aim. out. That's how it works. Nah, that motherfucker. He's got to get the hair cut down and he's got to look cool with the guns. That's what's more important. You look cool and aim that shit. That'll help you when you got to go kill the gangsters. <laughs> Not actually shooting the guns and getting a feel for how they feel and hand and how they recoil and how you would aim. None of that shit. Like, we're just going to uh, look cool with my um, fucking splatter punk haircut now. That's what we're going to do. All right. Um, let's see here. I also wanted to mention the, uh, you know, this is also the part where we get James Wan's trademark you know, thousand edit circular shot that he does, the 360 shot that's like famous that Saul started it. And then it's here. 
we definitely see it in Dead Silence. Like, it's also in speaking of movies of his, it's in Furious Seven. It's like his trademark circular shot that has like a ton of edits as it's you know going around. So, um, yeah, Billy comes to warn uh, Bones. I'm sorry, Bones comes to warn Billy about Nick. And he reveals that he actually cares about Billy before Billy suddenly shoots him in the head and kills him and takes <laughs> off. Again, it's abrupt. Out of nowhere. It's just he comes over and he's like, I just fucking stood up for you. You have no idea. Blah. Like, wait, wait, what yep. the fuck just happened? Uh, dead. Yeah, that that's... Why did we kill off John what, Goodman? What the fuck is going yeah, on? The, the whole John Goodman character, I really like it, but I, I wish you know, he was in it a little bit more, and I wish it would have went down differently. <laughs> like, this whole... I, rewatching it again, I forgot that he got shot. I, was, I forgot that Garrett Hedlund or Bobby Darling shot him. I really did, and I thought the shot, I was like, oh shit, is Nick there? And I didn't realize it? Like, I, I was like, what <laughs> the fuck? I completely forgot about that dumb shit. And he's like, I'm taking the car, Dad. Like, I don't know, it's just weird. It just... It, to me, it's not set up well. If they had a bad relationship where, the, where, you know, he wants to kill him, that's fine. But I don't feel like it's earned. And it's just kind of a weird thing. It's like he was just slightly bitching at him. It's not like he was doing anything else. Like Bones' character. <laughs> like what? Or Bones, like Goodman's character. I don't know. It's just <laughs> out of left field. There's a few things in this movie I'm just like, uh, it's kind of weird. All right. Let's see here. My notes, my notes. Oh, yeah, so uh, Lee Winnell, because he's in this gang as well. Um, his death scene occurs. He's sitting outside in front of this place where they're all hanging out in his van. And he just kind of, from across the driveway, whatever it is, just kept... Hold on, didn't, uh, didn't Kevin Bacon go and see the one guy doing drugs first? To get the location of where they're at at the hospital? Oh, I, that, that, scene that actually happens before he, Billy kills his father. I, I skipped that entire part. Well, my bad. See, we'll talk about that. So Nick goes to, uh, it's, it's that Hecko guy that he was told about. Yeah. And he goes and he breaks in, shoots the fucking shotgun, and then he runs out of bullets and he goes and gets the hand, the revolver, and he forces the, he pistol whips him and he's like, my fucking tooth, man, I love it, and I just, he bitches about his tooth and shit after, he just fuck, again, another instance where like, he doesn't quite know what he's doing, so he just pistol whips the guy, he's like, you son of a bitch, you got me in the tooth, so then, um, yeah, uh, he gets Hecko to call Billy, so Billy can hear Hecko being murdered, shot in the face off screen, or no, it's it's yeah. it's not all screen. The 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 camera. It's a weird edit. When he shoots him, like it, the the, the camera kind of like just throws away. Kind of like the the picture itself just. It's a very fast. I don't know. It's a weird edit. Uh, I also forgot to mention that the scene here, bro, when Billy kills his father, we see uh, Billy the puppet from Saul in graffiti on the in the background on the wall. I didn't notice that, but uh, I just like. The whole scene where Kevin Bacon's killing the um, Pekka guy or whatever his name is, the gang member, I, I just like it because the role reversal with the phone because now uh, you got to see like Bobby Darley pick up the phone and you can kind of see his expression like, oh shit, like when his guy gets shot. Like, I, I don't know, I like the role reversal there because now the tides have kind of turned from earlier when he was calling 
Nick Hume at work. You know, I kind of like that. Right. They basically traded places now. Uh, so yeah, that's really, we got that, and then kills his father, and yeah, so Lee Winnell's death scene, like I said, he's out, he's in the van, and basically, Kevin Bacon T-bones the shit out of him, he like drives through the van, that, oh, he drives through it, he drives it. through like, it, he, right, and he drives through it, completely, completely ridiculous, like you would just T-bone it, but it's pretty fucking cool watching the van just split apart. Like you can tell it's cut. But I have a but hard time believing cool. that that would kill Lee Winnell's character, though, because like he's in the driver's seat. It's not like the car went through him at any point. Eh. I mean, he could still be alive. Who knows? He could be fucking just laying there. Who knows? Yeah, true. Um. So this place where they all hang out, it's called the office, and it's actually like this abandoned mental hospital that they found and just kind of like claimed as their own where they make drugs and bring people back to it's like their hangout spot it's their club um so yeah we, we get this other I also wanted to mention that like I, I don't know about you Corey but to me I feel like this the film sort of becomes like a like a like a video game of sorts at, at this moment with every floor of this building representing a new level it feels like uh, he begins picking off gangbangers as he makes his way through the palace of drugs and this, it's just another in-your-face intense gunfight with the right amount of intensity on full display. Like, yeah, and it's great. Uh, yeah, it's really I like it's a good scene, and I'll give it credit. They're uh, very accurate with reloads. Like at no point, because that's one thing that some movies it doesn't bother me. Other movies it does. Where I'm watching it, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's rounding off a lot of bullets, and I never hear him reload. Uh, but in this film, I'll give him credit. Like every time Kevin Bacon shoots a sh- double barrel shotgun, he reloads. Or if he's got a pistol, uh, he'll reload the clip. So I, I really appreciate that uh, when a movie actually pays attention to a little detail like that. Like, huh. uh, you know, this guy's shooting off a lot of rounds, but he's actually reloading. And there's actually a little bit of time in between action because right. it's like at the beginning, it's kind of cat and mouse like. You know, he fires a few rounds, they fire a few rounds, then they're running, then he fires back. So it, it, it's more, it's not really realistic. I mean, would one guy go in and really kill this whole building of gangbangers? No, fuck no, he gets shot at some point. But uh, it's as realistic as the movie is going to get uh, as far as gunfights. So I appreciate that. So yeah, Billy arrives and enters the match. Now, <laughs> this he joins the online game. Yeah. yeah. But the score really resembles the Hello Zeb song from the Saw series during during this third act, I feel like. I mean, I know it's the same composer, it's Charlie Clouser, but like, I just feel like he's recycling that Hello Zeb theme, which is the main theme that we hear at the end of every Saw film when the reveal happens. It's that song, It's and I feel like that he just reincorporates it into his score for this movie. Um... Just, I don't know. Eventually, Nick reaches the chapel area of the building where Billy and Bodie double-team him. Billy's shot up along with Nick, and Billy's fingers get blown off. Like, it's fucking brutal. Uh, Bodie's shot in the head before he shoots Nick in the neck, so he's dead. And, I don't know, there's several homages to Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Yeah. To, to break down, you know, of course, Billy getting the fingers blown off. 
Nick being shot in the I mean, neck, the Nick, Nick shaving his head. I mean, one could argue that um, Kevin Bacon's character, Nick Hume, kind of becomes Travis Bickle in this film. Like, that's essentially what he becomes that's is true. the fucking taxi driver. That's true. Uh, but yeah, um, sitting on the same seat, Billy claims that they just turned Nick into a vicious, cold-blooded killer just like him. Nick pulls out this revolver and asks Billy if he's ready to meet his maker. As Billy, uh, yeah, Billy sheds a tear before Nick exits the church and heads home with the implication that he executed Billy off screen since we only see him exit the church alone after Nick asks if he's ready. <laughs> family's now been avenged so Nick returns home and watches the family videos from the beginning of the film he's sitting there watching them holding his neck and uh waiting for his arrest I guess so when oh, yeah. Detective Wallace arrives she informs him that Lucas has been he's awake he's improved and he's gonna pull through and Nick watches the home videos as the film ends Leaving his fate up to the viewer, unless you're watching this film's unrated version. In that case, you actually see him succumb to his wounds. Yeah, I actually like when a movie kind of ends ambiguously. I I don't know, I I just like the fact that you can kind of use your imagination a little bit and fill in the blanks. I mean, either way, his life is fucked. Because even if he survives, like, he's going to jail. Like, I mean, he murdered, whether he had any uh, justification or not, he murdered all those guys. He would go to jail for the rest of his life. So either way, his uh, life is fucked, whether he lives or doesn't. But I like the fact that they leave it open. Yeah, that's it. Wallace informs him that Lucas is approved. He's going to pull through. That's it. That's the end. That's that's the end of Death Sentence from 2007. 
Before we finish up, I just want to say I do like the uh, ending of the shootout, like how they both end up sitting quietly on the pew in the abandoned church. I think that's a pretty cool uh, touch, you know. Just obviously they hate each other's guts, but they're so fucking shot up. They just got to sit and chill for a minute and have a quiet moment. You know, I, I appreciate that. Like, I, I like that. And then, you know, because I almost wonder if maybe Bobby Darling's like thinks maybe they're he's going to somehow live. And then when uh, Nick pulls out that last revolver, I <laughs> just like the look on his face there. I was pretty good. All right. Well, that is that sentence from 2007 and James Wan. Alright, box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out, we put more in. I want receipts. Alright, so the film premiered August 27th, 2007 at the Tribeca Cinemas in New York City before being released on August 31st, 2007 from 20th Century Fox. It opened up in across 1,822 screens. Now, kind of circling back to a conversation we had earlier in the episode about the the film's release and whatnot, I thought, well, two things I got wrong. Number one, I thought Dead Silence came out in May. It came out in March, actually. So it was about five months prior to this. Um, I seem to have thought that Dead Silence, since Universal put that film out, it got a much wider release. I thought I, I seemed to thought seemed to have thought that it opened up in, across either twenty five hundred to three thousand screens. No, I looked it up. the The screen count was actually smaller than this film's. It was eighteen hundred and five compared to this film's eighteen hundred twenty two. So, um, there's that. Opening weekend box office was not good. Four point two million. Eighth place opening weekend. Second weekend, it dropped 60% to 12th place, 1.6 million. Total gross, $17 million across a $20 million budget. Now, unfortunately, this is a film that I don't think recouped any of its costs later on in years because it really wasn't, to my recollection, wasn't a big DVD seller. Not a lot of people call into this movie. Even when I mention this film today to some people, to some friends or whomever, they don't know what I'm talking about. They didn't. They don't seem to know that James Wan did an action film in the height of his career. Yeah, I I was pissed when this movie came out on home video because there was no Blu-ray. Like this was at the Still time when no I just Blu-ray. switched over. Yeah, I had just switched over to Blu-ray um, earlier in the year. And yeah, no Blu-ray release. Like, uh, you know, I had switched over like mid 2007. This movie came out. I don't remember the release date, but probably early 2008 and no Blu-ray. Like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, it's weird, especially because like like you just said, like that was, you know, Blu-ray was just breaking into the scene. They had that little war between that HD DVD that was around that time, but still, you would think it would have... It was all over by then. Yeah, then. yeah, it was, it was over. over, I'm sure, by that point. But it's still, you would have thought that this would have been released on both formats. But no, DVD only, and to this day, 15-odd years later, there's not been a Blu-ray release. You would think like a boutique label like Scream Factory or, or Shout would pick it up, but no, nothing. So... Well, it's all owned by the House of Mouse now, so it doesn't surprise me that much. I know. Christ, I'm still fucking pissed that they're not putting out Barbarian 
when any physical form that's just i don't know does it's not right anywho we can move on now to uh the critics corner to see what they all have to say about the movie Dev Sentence has a Rotten Tomato score of 20% based off 113 reviews with a critical consensus that says a nonsensical plot and an absurd amount of violence make this revenge pick gratuitous and overwrought. It's got a meta score of 36 out of 100 based on 24 reviews, a cinema score of C. Eves gave it two and a half stars. He compared Death Sentence to the Death Wish film starring Charles Bronson saying in the Bronson films the hero just looked more and more determined until you felt that it tapped his, if you tapped its face it would explode in Death Sentence Bacon acts out a lot more Ebert called Death Sentence very efficient praising a courtroom scene of true surprise and suspense and some other effective moments that concluded that but concluded that basically this is a movie about a lot of people shooting at each other uh, Matt Zoller seats from New York Times said, aside from a stunning three-minute tracking shot as the gang pursues Nick through a parking garage and Mr. Bacon's haunting, pale, dark-eyed vis- visage, uh, Mr. Wan's film is a tedious, pondering time waster. Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly gave it a D rating, felt that the mortality of revenge is barely an issue in a movie that, pers- that pushes the plausibility of revenge right over a cliff. Uh, author Brian Garfield, he said that while I could have done with with a bit less blood and thunder, I think it's a stunningly good movie. In the details of its story, it's quite different from the novel, but it's a movie, not a novel. In its cinematic way, it connects with its audience and it makes the same point the book makes. And those are the things that count. He also liked that like his novels, but unlike the Death Wish films, it does not advocate vigilantism. Garfield further explained in an interview, I think that except for its lucrative, uh, I'm sorry, ludicrous violence towards the end, the Death Sentence movie does depict its character's decline and the stupidity of vengeful vigilantism, adding, as a story, it made the point I wanted to make. Uh, Justin Chang from Variety said that it's this well-made, often intensely gripping genre piece packs some bizarre tonal extremities and uh, a few moments of self-critique into its tale of grieving for a father seeking his own brand of justice. Mark Bourne from Film.com wrote, Kevin Bacon, as usual, is very good even when he's slumming, and as a trashy B-movie redo of Death Wish, the movie works well enough for a Saturday afternoon with a, with a case of brewskis. So overall, I mean, wasn't very liked. It was not very well received. I mean, everything from Ebe's ho-hum score to the very low Rotten Tomato cinema score, meta score ratings, like, you're not going to get a good review out of this from a sensible critic. Um, and I guess that's fair. I mean, I, I argue what they're judging the film off of. Me, I I look at it as, and I look, I've always looked at like vigilante films as like a subgenre of action. 
and there's you know you've got good films you've got bad films there's a lot of them there's a ton of these kind of movies out there revenge films have been going on for 50 odd years now even longer than that and I still when I pull back and look at it in that category sense this is one of the best I I, I still I, even after us talking about the film breaking it down joking about some of its ridiculousness like it's in the end I still look at it in, in with the same eye as I did prior to our conversation and that is that this is a film that holds up it's a film that gets me emotionally it's a film that makes me feel for you know the the, the, the core characters and I you know it, it just it works for me so um I mean how about you? Do you have a comment on that? I mean, I kind of feel like all our categories all make a comment. True. <laughs> on a lot of this stuff. True. Well, we can move on then in that sense to our pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that. And you get a reaction. Uh, pros. Uh, so I got, I got several here. Uh, I'll knock them out real quick. The intensity spread throughout is one of them. Uh, Kevin Bacon's emotion is genuine and believable. Um, antagonists. The, it's a film that has antagonists that are legitimately threatening. And the parking garage sequence as a whole. Like those four things to me are like the film's four strongest suits um especially the antagonists that are actually threatening now i know you know it's a gang but i'm looking at billy i'm throwing bones in there um i i guess i'll even count um what's his face Bodie, because you know he's kind of like um billy's number two in the gang Everyone else is kind of like throwaway because there's so many of them and they don't really have their moments except for maybe Hecko. But other than that, like, you know, I I think that the like the, the, the scenes where they're chasing him before prior to the parking garage, like that scene is so real and like you are kind of like running with Nick and you're like trying to get away from these guys while watching the movie in a sense because like the, the the violence in this film is really in your face and like they've got guns and they do fucking sadistic things with those guns and like Nick they they just want blood and it's not good and the movie does a good job of just kind of like putting you front and center with Nick in the driver's seat or maybe in this case the passenger seat so but that's it. That's those are my, my my main pros for the film. How about you? Yeah, I mean, at the top of it, uh, I think the performances are all good. Uh, Kevin Bacon, Garrett Hedlund. Uh, you know, I heard some people uh, when this movie came out weren't a big fan of Garrett Hedlund in this. I think he does a good job. I, I think he's totally believable as a gang member. I think he looks the part. I think he acts the part. He's a dick. You know, I, I really enjoy uh, the three main leads, you know, like I said, um, Kevin Bacon, Garrett Hedlund, and um, even though he's not in it a whole lot, um, John Goodman. I, I, I really enjoy all three. I, I think they're all no, great. Me too. So their, perform- 
the performances are definitely a cut above, so I think that elevates the movie a little bit. Um, my next pro is just all the gunplay. I mean, I appreciate the fact that this movie has practical stuff. Uh, and, you know, I can tell guns are actually being shot on location mm-hmm. uh, just from the way they look and the sound. I can tell squibs are being used. You know, it's sad to say, but it's like a lot of modern movies nowadays with gunfights. It just takes it out of it when it's all CG and done in post. I mean, I think it just looks so much better when it's, it's done real and practically. And I'm not saying this film doesn't have CG. I know it has some CG blood yeah. and a little bit added in. I don't have a problem when it's used in that manner. But, but for the most part, it's done there on screen. Well, the situation with Rust and Alec Baldwin didn't do their argument much, you know. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying it looks better. I don't know, I know if I know, everybody I, I notices. Know. I don't know if everybody notices that, but it's just something I notice when watching a gunfight, you know, whether they're actually shooting there um, or not. So, but yeah, the action, like the tracking shot with the parking garage, I think that's definitely a big highlight of the film. Oh yeah. And even though the ending is definitely over the top and video game-ish and cartoony, I still enjoy it. So I think the movie has several good, um, action scenes thrown in there. So that's definitely a pro for me. And then, um, just went down again. Hold on one second. You're good. Oh yeah. My last pro, um, with a lot of vigilante movies, uh, I feel like it glorifies vigilantism. Uh, you know, death wish a prime example of that. Um, but with this movie, I, I really do like the fact that it portrays it in a way that where nobody wins. Nobody's winning in this film. Uh, both sides come out terribly. I mean, pretty much everybody dies. I mean, it's an eye for an eye and then you're living in the land of the blind, essentially. So, um, yeah, I, I like the fact that even though, you know, we're entertained by the movie, we're watching uh, Nick Hume or Nick or uh, Kevin Bacon's character go down this road of revenge. Uh, you know, it portrays in a way where, you know, he's kind of a dumbass. Nick Hume or Kevin Bacon's character, he's kind of an idiot for doing this and throwing away his life and what he has left with his family and nobody wins. So I appreciate that because that it's very true. I mean, revenge, it never ends well for anybody. So I, I like the fact that it doesn't glorify or justify his actions like it just basically ends up. They're both at shot up on a pew in a dirty ass church with all their family dead essentially so I appreciate that in the film so those are my pros alright on to the cons now um I got a couple some dodgy effects cheap in the film at moments like I mentioned the one specifically earlier in the film where he's uh walking home from the hospital and it's just that really bizarre looking computer generated storm going off behind him in the background it's kind of like a weird cg green screen effect that i don't know just it's very noticeable and the other is um i can see how some folks can't buy into kevin Bacon's sudden third act change because in the third act as much as we're gonna sit here or have sat here and praised it you know for its highlights and strong suits Kevin Bacon does become Superman all of a sudden in the third act. Like he, you know, knows everything. And I don't know. Like I kind of joked about it, but I was kind of also being half serious about when he does the whole transformation sequence and shit. Like he doesn't, it shows him. It goes out of its way 
it. Um, pronouns, pal. He, Kevin, uh, James Wan, goes out of his way to, to highlight that, like, at first, like, he can't even, like, properly unload the goddamn chamber of bullets, you know? And he's, like, dropping shit and, like, let alone... It, within two minutes after the fact like like I, I made a comment that like he just shaved his head and all of a sudden he's a badass who knows he's a master of guns but like it just happens but you know I I forgive it personally because it just I like to go you know I, I realize at this point we're in a third act it's time to bring this thing home so we gotta have a gunfight so Kevin Bacon has to find out how to find fire a gun properly so whatever it's forgiven in my in my eyes but i can see how some people would have a problem with it because all of a sudden like he just shows up like he's not scared he's a fucking badass it's kind of like how billy says before he dies like he's turned into one of them and it's just kind of like <sighs> if it was more of a slow burn of a change I'd, I'd, I'd forgive it more but like it just suddenly happens you know and it, all, yeah. it took his family to die for it to happen. And that's sad. So those are my two cons, though, that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, my number one con for this movie with a bullet is the plot. Just the plot and the writing oh. are pretty bad. Oh, God. Like, it's just too many conveniences. Like, just the way everything happens in this film. I don't know. Just like. It's just way too convenient, like the way uh, Bobby Darling and his gang find Nick Hume, the way Nick Hume finds them. I don't know. I just find a lot of it. I kind of look at it this way. They probably had plans for this movie where they had a couple action scenes planned out. They had their actors. They, you know, when I say they, maybe James Wan had the effects and then like the writing was just kind of like, oh, how do they get there? Fuck, I don't know. They take some newspaper to this girl over there and boom, there you go, now they know where Nick Hume is, and then, you know, Nick goes into this bar, and now, all of a sudden, he's hooked up buying guns from the dad, and, you know, I don't know, it's just very convenient, and this type of movie, you're never going in for the, necessarily, like, the great writing, but I feel like there's a few things they could have easily tweaked to make it a little bit more believable, I don't know, I just think it's a little convenient and a little dumb in certain spots, and it just kind of stands out to me. So, and again, like I said, with the family staying in the house, it's so stupid. I, I mean, that is probably one of the biggest things I don't believe is, you, you know, Nick Hume or Kevin Bacon's character knows the gang's coming for him. He has a fucking death sentence and uh, they're staying in the house because <laughs> they got fucking, you know, two deputies out there. So uh, I don't know. It, it's just too many conveniences, too many dumb things in the movie. It kind of drags it down a little bit for me. Um, so that's... Um, probably my biggest con honestly um yeah i mean that's that's really my main one i guess my next con is uh like you said there's a few spots where the movie feels cheap and also with the couple of the camera angles like when he wakes up at the hospital like a couple of the camera tricks i'm just like oh this doesn't look that great i don't know i mean that one's not as major as the um plot in the writing and my final con and probably my next biggest one is like you said the the major character change for Nick Hume. Uh, I think the whole character change, not even just the third act. I think the whole thing is just a little abrupt. Like just suddenly at the court that day, uh, when you know Nick's going to testify, decides to let um, 
what's his name, Joey Go Free. I, I find that a little uh, implausible with the way his character's set up. I mean, it's just a few tweaks they would have had to make. Don't make the guy a fucking shining example of a rule follower as an insurance guy. Like, make him do something else then. Like, you know, or maybe he's a little bit more of a renegade and, you know, go off script. I don't know, but just the way the character's written at the beginning with Nick Hume, I just find it very hard to believe that he would just then pivot and start lying in court and letting a guy go free and killing him. And then, yeah, again, at the end, like, I mean, he goes from kind of like just bumbling his way through surviving to being the fucking hunter. And now I got a shaved head and I got my double barrel shotgun, which, by the way, I love the fact that he has a double barrel shotgun. But, you know, should he be that effective with the guns? Hell no. I mean, I've shot plenty of guns at the range before. I mean, you got to know what you're doing to aim that bitch. Like, it, it isn't like uh, auto aim when you're playing video games. Like, even at, at somewhat mid-range, you got to be skilled to reload those things quickly and to aim, <laughs> you know? So I don't buy the whole ending change where, you know, he looks cool in front of the camera with his shaved head and now he can all of a sudden take on a gang where these guys have lived through this their whole life and have shotguns their whole life and killed people so i don't know i find the change a little bit um too quick and unearned i think if the movie added a little bit more it would have been more believable but yeah i agree with you the nick hume change is probably my next biggest con so those are it for me all right so we are now on our let's see here all right modern cancellations Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. I wonder what they did. All right, so, you know, this one's so simple. Who gets canceled by today's cancel culture? The entire Darley gang, for Christ's sake. I mean, pick your poison. You got Billy, you've got Joey, you've got Bones, you've got Booty, you've got Hecko, you've got everyone. You've got, I think, the... Lee Wanell's name is Spitz or something like that, or Sputz. I don't know, some ridiculousness name. But, uh, you know, they're just, it's a gang who, yeah. need I say more? I mean, can this answer be any more obvious? Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you have something different. How about you? Uh, I mean, I think the gas station owner should get canceled for not having oh, cameras. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck kind of gas station doesn't have cameras? You're in that fucking neighborhood and you don't have cameras. You deserve to die, gas station dude. Jesus. I mean, not nece- <laughs> not necessarily the clerk, I guess, but the owner. You know, like, it's just pretty laughable that they don't have cameras. But hey, you know, movies got to go on. Hey, you want a fucking movie or not? You need to complicate things for the plot. Come on, man. <laughs> oh, shit. All right, well, that was a simple, uh, simple section. Let's move on then to Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? So earlier, when I was talking about the relationship between Brandon and his brother, um, Luke, I said more on that later. I meant, what I meant by that was here, my mulligan moment. Like, speaking as someone with a brother myself, the relationship between Brandon and Luke needed to be on display more on the screen. Like, I just don't buy into these kids being brotherly enough like i don't know like if if that's even a thing like it's one of the things i noticed this time around that i've never noticed before like we don't get that uh, relationship building up i don't know i just don't feel i've i wanted more between these two brothers you know what i mean i i i 
because it's just all about Brandon and his hockey aspirations. And Luke's just there on the side like, what am I going to do? And they, they even later on in the movie, you know, acknowledge that. But I don't know. It's, it, it, by that point, it's too little too late. But I just felt like when Brandon was alive, they could have done, you know, you could have had a couple of scenes with those two together to kind of like establish that more. So, or maybe I'm reaching for this category. I don't know. You be the judge. That's my answer and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, I kind of had two answers for this one. I was battling between. Um, so my first one would be the end of the scene with Bones and Nick Hume or Kev, you know, Kevin Bacon and John Goodman's scene. Yeah. Love the scene. Love the lead up to it. I just wish it ended differently because, like I said, it just makes no sense for the Bones character. Like, his motivation just makes no sense. Like, you know, does if he cares about his kid, why is he letting this guy walk out with all these guns? And, I mean, he, to boot, he gives him the manuals and bullets. I mean, like, why would he do that? Like, yeah, he paid cash, but I don't know. Just that whole thing bothers me. I would have rather just had them have a confrontation right then. And then maybe, you know, whether they just have a confrontation and then go their separate ways or whether Nick Hume kills Bones. I mean, Bones dies anyway, so, you know, I would rather have Nick Hume kill him than fucking his own son. You know, like, to me, that would have made more sense. That would be an easy, quick change, and it would extend the scene with Goodman, which is a good thing. So, uh, you know, I was kind of leaning towards that. I wish there was a little bit more intensity and a little bit more drama at the end there, other than, you know, oh, what my son does is on him, and you're a cash customer, bye. And then two seconds later, no, son, you gotta kill this guy. Like, I don't know, I just think that part just really bothers me. But the other one I was wrestling with feeds into what you were saying is I wish there was a little bit more family time at the beginning. Uh, I think the home videos were great and the stuff we do get at the beginning is good. But, you know, because watching the movie, I timed it. It was like literally, I think, at the 12 or 13 minute mark when his son gets, you know, his throat slit in the uh, gas station. And, you know, I understand like you're going into this movie, you're not watching it to see the family dynamic for half the movie and then have it turn into revenge like yeah you want to get to the revenge story but maybe just have another scene or two where it sets up the family a little bit more because really um i forget nick hume's wife's name in this movie i i totally forget the character's Hello. name but yeah basically like she has not any really thing to do other than every time nick hume comes home just like what have you done like that's essentially her character <laughs> the whole goddamn movie helen and then the son is just a whiny yeah, the other son, the one that doesn't die, is just kind of a whiny bitch because he's the second favorite. So, I mean, it's just, I wish they would have showed the dynamics a little bit more when everybody was still alive. I mean, I get a good feel for it. I care for uh, Nick Hume, and that's the most important part. Like, you know, I, I understand his motivations. I care for the character, but it wouldn't have hurt to have an extra scene or two. I'm not saying we need like an hour of this shit. But, uh, you know, maybe push the gas station scene to the 20, 25 minute mark and just have a little bit more build up with the family. I think what you said is very true. Having the brother dynamic built up a little bit more and the father son built up a little bit more would have helped. Well, you know, I, I think it would have helped the film immensely. So either of those two really would be my mulligan and something I would change. All right. All right. Let's see what we got here. All right. Finger looking good. Finger licking good. 
All right, the parking garage sequence. I mean, I, this is pretty obvious. This is the most obvious answer because I've been talking about this and gloating about this scene for pretty much the entire episode. So, you know, obviously it's my favorite scene of the mo- of the film, my, my favorite moment. It is my finger-looking-good sequence. So, and I've already rolled, I've already went into the scene numerous times. We both have, so there's nothing much more to explain. Um, so, yeah, what's your favorite scene? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I, from a pure action and spectacle perspective, it's definitely the uh, the uh, chase sequence with the car garage scene. Yeah, that's definitely the highlight. Even when I first saw it in theaters, I could definitely tell that that was where most of the craftsmanship and uh, a lot of work went into. And it definitely nails it. Like uh, we said before, the feel and the intensity of the scene is all really good. So that would definitely be mine from an action perspective. But running up for a close second is the scene with Bones and Nick Hume. I just love John Goodman in that scene. Just I'm picking up everything he's throwing down. And uh, I think Kevin Bacon's reactions and just their uh, chemistry in that scene is great. I wish there was a little bit more of it. I wish it would end a little bit differently, but I fucking love that shit. Like that would be a close second to me is that scene between bones and Nick Hume. But yeah, the, the garage and chase has to be the number one. All right. Let's see here. We're at, um, like this, try that. All right, so for me, it's the original 1974 Death Wish, a film that acts as a... This film is like an unofficial sequel for that movie. I mean, it's pretty much the same premise, family, except you got Paul Kersey instead of uh, Nick Hume in this movie. And uh, like I mentioned before, the book is... Basically, this it, the book's the sequel that this film is based off of, even though this movie's not an actual sequel. It's kind of an unofficial sequel. But, you know, the reason for that is because it's like they're almost the same. You know, this, this movie's like a. It could have been. This movie's more of a remake to Death Wish than that Bruce Willis bullshit from five years ago. I'll just. Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to say that much and leave it at that. Um, yeah, and leave it at that answer. So yeah, that's why I like this try that, uh, the original Death Wish. So my pick for this might seem a little odd because it's not even, uh, like a traditional revenge type movie. Let's hear it. Um, but mine is Prisoners. And, uh, the reason I'm reaching for Prisoners here is I think it has just such a similar outcome and message about, you know, a father, uh, trying to basically grieve or avenge their offspring. I mean, it's just such a similar road that um, both, uh, you know, Kevin Bacon and then in Prisoners, Hugh Jackman go down that, uh, I don't know, I've always kind of tied the two together. Is Prisoners more, obviously it's more of like a psychological thriller and drama and it's obviously a lot longer, a lot heavier of a film, deals with a lot more stuff, but I don't know, I've always linked those two together just because of that family dynamic and just a dad going down a dark fucking road to uh, avenge or take care of his family. But anyway, yeah, for anybody who hasn't seen Prisoners, uh, it's Hugh Jackman. Um, I think his character's name is like Keller or something like that. Uh, He's out looking for his daughter and his, uh, her daughter's, his daughter's friend that went missing. And uh, 
basically they have a suspect, Paul Dano, let him go, and uh, Hugh Jackman does some crazy shit because he thinks Paul Dano's the guy. So, um, yeah, I just love Prisoners. Just one of my favorite movies of probably the past 15, 20 years. I, I don't know. I just really dig the whole uh, aesthetic of that movie and just the whole dark tone. Uh, and I think it pairs well with Death Sentence. You kind of have your action, your run and gun, then you kind of have your heavy uh, dramatic thriller mixed in there just with a couple of similar tones about uh, vengeance and mm-hmm. taking law into your own hands and maybe uh, not necessarily being a good thing. All right. Well, one more category. Let's talk about our movie MVPs. All right. Now, you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is... Uh, for me, you know, it's, it's Kevin Bacon, for obvious reasons. Uh, he nails it in this movie. I think he does... I think it's one hell of a performance, you know, even though it's just a throwaway revenge movie to some, not, I think he's bringing it with all the emotion and uh, just the way he pulls off certain scenes and things he does, like little things like that we talked about earlier, like, you know, when he first gets into that fight, how he's just not very good at first, doesn't even know what to do or pull any punches until things start getting threatening. Then he suddenly pulls these sudden moves out of his hat. And, you know, it's sort of like that as well as uh, with that fight in the parking garage, too. He's sort of like just a novice fighter. But, yeah, he does so much in this movie that I just just love and and think that he does a great job in this this role. Um, It's always great seeing Kevin Bacon on screen. Especially when he's being helmed by James Wan, so it's almost a match made in heaven. Yeah, but that's my answer. Kevin Bacon is the MVP for the film. Yeah, I mean this one is kind of uh, a no-brainer. I mean, there's really nobody else you could uh, point to. I think. I mean, Garrett, like I said, Garrett Hedlund's good. Like I, I like his character. Uh, do I wish maybe there was a little bit more of him in the movie? Sure. Like maybe a little bit more backstory on the gang. Uh, but overall, I mean, yeah, it's Kevin Bacon. I mean, he plays the role of the everyman and the loving father extremely well. Uh, I think that's definitely his strong suit in the movie. Um, as for playing, you know, at the end, the, uh, punk looking vigilante. Yeah, he's fine. Like he's pretty good. I mean, Kevin Bacon's believable as like a tough guy at the end. So I don't have a problem with it, but I definitely think where he excels in this film is the likable everyman do right father type. I, I think he's really good in that aspect. And yeah, definitely Kevin Bacon's role. I mean, like you said, this is easily a throwaway revenge movie and you could definitely have either a no name or some washed up actor, or somebody just collecting a check. Uh, but you can tell Kevin Bacon really cared and really tried. It shines through. He's really good in this movie. All right. Well, we got one more. Let's give this film the final effect treatment. Ow. On a scale of one. Ow. On a scale. Ah. On a scale. No. On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you think? All right, four and a half stars. That's a big bold score, but you know what? It's a film that takes chances for being a James Wan movie, featuring some really good acting from big name actors who normally wouldn't be given this much of their all. 
for some throwaway vigilante film. Each viewing is a brisk watch that doesn't feel like it's run its, you know, its course, its runtime due to the film's ability to pull you into its story. It's it, the, the core of it all. James Wan's ideas are on full display, and it's always one of my favorite films of his. This was the movie that proved to critics that James Wan was more than just a horror hack. Yeah, that's pretty much what sums up for me. I mean, I can talk about mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon's performance more if you want me to, but I, I'm, I'd rather not. <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> There's a lot about this movie I cherish, so it's kind of a high score for my liking, but I think this film deserves it. Yeah, so I look at it this way. So, like, out of our rating, a two and a half is average. I think this movie's above average, so I'm going to give it a three out of five stars. It's an enjoyable film. I like it. I I think as far as like the vengeance revenge subgenre, I think it fits in and ranks fairly high for me. I, I think it's a better than it has any right to be. Uh, I just don't. I think it has a lot of good parts, a lot of good scenes. I just don't think it all seamlessly flows together uh, like some other movies do. Um, you know, there's just some bits in between that just really bother me and really drag the thing down. Um, and with a few tweaks and a few changes, this movie could have easily been top tier, uh, you know, four or five stars, but the way the movie sits now, I think it's just pretty good. Like it, it it has strong performances. It has some good action scenes. I cared about the main character, which is probably the most important part of a movie like this. Cause if you don't give a shit about the main character, then you don't give a shit about any of the revenge and you don't, you know, so that, that's probably the most important part, and this movie gets it right. Uh, it does things practically and in camera. I, you know, I've always appreciated uh, Juan as a director and a lot of his camera work. I mean, we didn't mention it before, but... Uh, or maybe we did, I don't remember, but uh, I, I love his diversity because, I mean, he's done, like, these little horror movies. He did this little revenge movie, and then he does, like, big blockbusters like Area 7 and Aquaman. You know, I don't love Aquaman, but it was enjoyable enough, and it let him really show off uh, Juan's visual flair directing. So I, I really appreciate it. He's a solid director, uh, solid acting, good revenge film. Uh, just has a few flaws that drags it down for me, but it's still enjoyable. I think if you like the subgenre and you haven't seen it, which judging by the box office and the DVD sales, you probably haven't seen this movie. Give it a watch. You know, I definitely think it's worth seeking out. I don't know if it's. Uh, widely available streaming or not but I mean I own it on DVD I I mean I definitely think it's worth a rental um, if you haven't seen it and you like this genre I think you'll have a good time uh, sitting down and watching it Um, yeah it's just an enjoyable film I think it's definitely above average uh, revenge film alright well this revenge film is sponsored by Vengeance on a Silver Platter Know Your Enemy and the revenge will go down smoother. Unfortunately, we've reached the point of the episode where we have to say farewell because that's going to be a wrap on our film effect breakdown of Death Sentence, a film from James Wan that we're definitely giving that full film effect seal of approval to. One down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes on pretty much all podcast platforms imaginable. And if you're not already following us on Twitter, Twitter or Facebook, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. Send us your feedback on this or any of our other podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Facebook. You can send us an email or send it anywhere else I've neglected to mention. 
Enjoy the weekend with an all-new Fewer Cast episode each and every Saturday. And then enjoy an all-new episode of the Film Effect Podcast coming at you every single week. Next up, Corey's up. We're doing Toy Story. That's right, we're finally getting animated for the podcast and breaking down a Disney film. <laughs> but that's all I've got. Corey, you want to hype what's to come next week since it's your episode? I just was laughing because can you talk about two opposite things to cover week to week? Like we're talking about a dark, gritty, revenge, R-rated movie to a kid's movie, a family picture, if you will. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm so looking forward to hosting the Toy Story episode. Uh, probably my favorite animated film of all time. Um, you know, just from the time I was born, just lining up with that film franchise has just been such a treat. So I'm looking forward to bringing animation to the podcast. I'm looking forward to talking about just such a cherished uh, childhood movie and just such an important movie. It's a very important movie in cinema history, which we will cover next week. Well... Thanks to all the listeners for sharing your time with us and enjoying the show. Till we enter Andy's Choice Chest at until we enter Andy's Choice Chest. I can't even fucking say it. Andy's <laughs> Toy Chest next week. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this has been the Film Effect Podcast. Go with God and a bag full of guns. I'm Vengeance. This concludes our broadcast day.